right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Before we get rolling here, hopefully most of you listening to this are observing quarantine, social distancing protocols, keeping yourselves and others safe. And if you are, it probably means a lot of time at home, either watching content, listening to content. Thank you for continuing to listen to podcasts. If you're hearing this, uh, hearing my voice right now, that means you're you're still consuming your podcast. So uh, if you are, you know, wasting away at home, looking for something to do, our friends at Odyssey Golf have some fun and educational putting content on their social media channels. They have uh, videos of people making 55-footers in a row and 66-footers in a row. Uh, now is a good time to work on your stroke at home and and to help with some putting fundamentals. As you might already know, they, uh, Odyssey launched their triple-track putters this year. They feature a concept that you saw on Callaway Golf Balls last year, three distinct alignment lines that l- allow you to line up your putts better Alignment's obviously very critical when you're when you're putting, and most people do it extremely poorly. Their test data shows that 88% of golfers are better aligned with triple track technology. 88%. That's a lot. Uh, triple track putters are available in most popular Odyssey shapes, the 10, the classic two ball, and even the double wide blade, among others. So for more on Odyssey triple track, visit odysseygolf.com. That's odysseygolf.com. Uh, now I'm going to turn the reins over here very shortly to uh, Mr. Icarito. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, we are going. This is quarantine edition. This is uh, a topic based pod that you know an idea we've had for a while to do, just haven't really had the time and opportunity. We have nothing but time and opportunity to do that now. Solly here playing the role of student in the classroom today, I believe, as well as DJ Pi. Excited to learn. Tron Carter is here. Happy to be here. And our teacher, instructor, professor, if you will. What level class are we about to go through, Mr. Neil Schuster? This is intro, intro to the shark. So it's a 101 for sure. This is the first mega book report I've done. O- um, Oceanography 101. Exactly, yes. <laughs> intro to sharks. Um, so I've been, uh, I've been deep in the interwebs. I've been rocking my, uh, my shark hat for the past two or three days to get you know, the way of the shark. Uh, also, the title of Greg Norman's autobiography. <laughs> Are you a marine biologist at this point? I'd say I'm. I'm a, probably an apprentice, like a cadet. Yeah, definitely. I'd say I'm. A, I'm a, either merchant marines or coast guard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the merchant marines do. Well, that's a, we can take that offline. That's next week's. Time. That's yeah. a great question. That might be a good trap draw. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, as you may have guessed, this is going to be an oral history breakdown of Greg Norman's career. So we were, uh, I guess, last week brainstorming on our co-vision board and we're thinking maybe we dive into some uh, some players we don't know a lot about so when when the shark's name popped up there figuratively jumped out at me jumped off just, the page just it breached right it breached the co-vision <laughs> board coming right at me you know in 3d just um, <laughs> slightly before your time yes exactly um and honestly because he's it's been confirmed now for me the original icarito <laughs> yeah um, so, and like maybe the best version of Icarito. Dude got uh, roasted by the sun. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Absolutely he, he, he really did. He, he, uh, he had an issue coming down the stretch, which is awesome. So as TC said, the Sharks, a little bit before my time, before I really got interested in golf, I was playing golf. So I was born in 1989. I remember watching the Shark in person once at the, probably the 98 
99 uh, Bell South Classic uh, in Atlanta at TPC Sugarloaf, of course he designed, which TC, how do you feel about that course? I mean, it's dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. But I remember thinking I was probably, I guess, 10, 11 at the time, being like, one, it's super hot out here and this kind of sucks. And two, why does he wear that stupid hat? Uh, and here I am wearing that hat. Tread, doing, tread lightly there. Neil. I was going to say stupid hat. I was wearing that hat in <laughs> 1998. I didn't think, I was never really into that vibe. I, it, I, to me, it was, it was an old man hat. And, but now I'm wearing the hat and doing research on Greg Norman. So what a world. The guy, is, he is a branding expert. I believe we'll get into, but that hat is part of the brand. Well, that was that was exactly kind of my next intro point is that for me, Norman has just become business, right? And and I think that's exactly how he wants it based on all the interviews I've read. And he likes to repeat stories as a, a lot of uh, probably older guys do. Uh, but one I kept running across was he's, you know, he's, he's doing 60 knots in his yacht. You know, he's, he's, He's bombing off the coast of Florida down to the Bahamas with the boys, you know, Super Chef Bobby Flay, the Cubes. They're all just, you know, having a grand old time. And all of a sudden, a blip comes on his radar. The Coast Guard, you know, skiff boats after him. They think he's running drugs to Cuba. Drugs uh, from Cuba or to Cuba? It, it, they, they picked him up going to Cuba in okay. this, and I think it's a golf.com interview. And uh, seems like bad police work already. So was they he trying they, to go to the Bahamas and he was ending up in Cuba. Like, does he know how to pilot? Well, listen, I'd have to check the tape. I don't guy have that had, article. Guy had trouble closing, it's, man. It's a, it's a simple <laughs> anecdote. Okay, he couldn't get it home. So man. he's going too fast, basically, and so he gets picked up on the radar. And they call it in. They're like, you know, what's his name? Greg Norman. Oh, you know, the guy that makes the wine. He's like, yes, <laughs> that's ex- you know, that's exactly what he wanted. It was like, it, it was like the uh, fulfillment of his dreams that like he was known as a businessman and not for. For golf, this sounds like one of those stories like a politician makes up about exactly. themselves. To it, like, no, that's the thing. And I've this seen, didn't happen. I've was seen cool. that was that corn anecdote. pop on the boat. <laughs> Greg Norman was running some bad boys. No, both in in written form and in like a video interview. He's he's told that story. You know, it's like God. He's just he's going back to the well with this one, right? So I'm. I gotta say, I'm excited to hear more about his golf career because all I know him as is he's like the after version, and you know those like uh, old man like drug and bodybuilding commercials where the guy's like, yeah, I used to be like a dork, but now I'm shredded and I play in like a rock band. He always seems like the, the after version of that's like all I know yeah. him from. So I'm, I'm very excited to get some more content. His persona kind of reminds me of Kevin Spacey in American beauty. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Just getting absolutely swole in the garage. Like probably pretty, pretty angsty behind the scenes. Well, so sorry. What do you think of first when you, when you hear the, the shark's name, non like, I guess non-golf related. Legit, the first thing I think of is the hat. The like, hat. The, the, I mean, honestly, Iconic. It, yeah. So I was thinking about this as you were talking about the hat was how Payne Stewart had his hat and Norman had his hat. And I, maybe it's just like when I grew up, but thinking about like, that's cool. Like those guys have a style. And now when Bryson wears it, I'm like, that is fucking stupid. Like, why, <laughs> why are you wearing that hat? Which it is just, kind of, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be a tribute did, to Payne Stewart. But well, How'd you feel about Tiger wearing the Norman hat? I mean, I'm sure it had an. I that guess was probably if he wore it like now, but that was back for his in whole career. I guess that would be more of a parallel with the Bryson thing. Yeah, back, yeah, it totally. was Back yeah, in the yeah. mid '90s, or it, it's the same. Like Sabatini wears the hat. It's true. It looks great doing it. It, do, it does look good. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, it look, the, listen, it looks yeah. fine. For the record, I have no issue with the hat. I just remember as a ten year old being like, "Why is this guy wearing that hat? Nobody else is." You know. Um, Maybe I, I should march to the beat of my own drum. Yeah. Now I'm like, man, man, that guy had it figured out. Branding expert. But he also, like in all the interviews I watched over the past week, he isn't 
pro golfer Greg Norman. He's CEO and founder of Great yeah. White Shark Enterprises. Like that's how he wants. You can tell it's such a conscious thing of him. Like I am a businessman first and a golfer second. And maybe that's him whitewashing the fact that it's like Brooks Kepka. He's a baseball player. Yeah, that's, yeah that's in a way. A so it's just like an interesting to see the way Norman. Like he seems to really telegraph. Like he's not a subtle guy. Let me put it that yeah, way. Maybe right? maybe I'm jumping too far ahead here, but. I would even say he's a businessman second and a narcissist first. <laughs> <laughs> well, we surely will get there. But you know, who he reminds me of just to paint, yeah, even more clarity. Uh, Richard Branson. Well, oh. Mr. Branson will friends? play. <laughs> yes, they are friends. That okay. will play into our into our timeline. Do, here. do you want to uh, before we dive into? Do you want to acknowledge any sources? Do you want to? I, I want to make sure we're all above board here. Well, I'm, I'm going to poke some holes in I, this report. I'm going to be calling them out as we go, but. Okay. Um, Australian news sure. articles. I mean, the Google machine, first and foremost. Golf.com. Rick Riley features heavily. And, and worth noting, God, Rick Riley was a menace. Oh, Some yeah. of these game stories from the Masters and the also US might have are flown through too close to this. <laughs> well, I don't know. He, he kind of maybe just decided he wanted to hang out instead. But In he, Italy. But some of these, uh, you know, SI game stories on Sunday nights are just talk about hitting a deadline, but right. just over delivering. He took ESPN just said, Put the money in the bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, golf.com for sure. Golf Digest will feature. I've actually found a really good newsletter. I'll call it out when I when I get Please. there. Okay, um, great. But uh, to, to kick things off, I, I wanted to get at least a, like other than the, you know, Australian news sources, an Australian's point of view, Maddie Kelly, Jack's Beach local or Ponte Vedra, what, what would you say? Jack's Beach. Jack's Beach. And caddy, Mark Leishman's caddy, pro jock. Uh, and pretty much the only Aussie I know with... Uh, I can consider a friend. Um, whose I, phone number you have? Whose phone number I have? Who I got from TC? So uh, I asked him for you know a couple sound bites. Sure. Um, just to kick us off, I just asked him what's what's the opinion of Norman Australia? How did they feel about him down under? He said a very respected sportsman and businessman, but personally, I think his Instagram lets him down. <laughs> Which I was like, that's kind of exactly what I needed to yeah. be like, okay, here we have a you know Hall of Famer. I think he's been in the Australian Hall of Fame since like 1990, you know, and like just keeps getting his stature upped and upped and up. And also a guy that's like doing everything he can to tarnish his personal brand, like by <laughs> posting too much stuff, like any old- With, a, with like, a certain group, I would argue. Yeah. I'm, I think there is a certain group of people who look at that as like, man, this guy's got everything. Yes. That is there so is cool. so much. If you go to his Instagram, we'll just call that out early because I don't have a, it's since it's last three or four years, it doesn't really feature into our timeline, but it is full of some of the, you know, USDA prime <laughs> examples of like someone being not self-aware. Like it's a ton of, you know, Norman on a private jet. It's like stock footage of like rich people. Like if you were going to like do a photo shoot of like, yeah, private jet shot, this is sick. It's, you like, know? A, it's like a rap video shoot. It, it is. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's, it is. Uh, it's very entertaining. Um, you know, it, but there's no, uh, there, there doesn't seem to be any feedback loop. I scrolled back to the beginning of his Instagram, which took me about 10 minutes to scroll all the way through. He joined in 2014, thousands of posts. Did oh. you get to the horse one? Uh, I did. The horse okay, one's great. The Duke, chainsaw Duke one. His horse. The chainsaw one's good. Will someone is, is, yeah, describe the horse one for me? It's two horses fucking. <laughs> Just if, if you need to know. It, it's... Uh, yeah, but I, I actually personally wanted to focus more on the golf because that's the part I don't stick know. To that's, stick to sports. That's the untold story. And then, you know, the personal stuff will, will sprinkle in. Going back, DJ, what's your what's your 
lasting well, memory lasting memory or first memory of uh, greg norman honestly it's uh i like to pretend i watched a lot more golf when i was a little kid than i i really did so i'm i'm kind of in the same boat as you guys i mean i remember the hat i remember honestly i think i remember the logo probably first which i guess probably fits in with uh, a lot of this stuff is the colorful shark logo that was on the hats of you know all the people i was playing golf with or seeing at the golf course when i was a little kid um i mean that was probably the first thing i, I really don't know the first time I could have like actually told you a lot about the person himself, which is kind of, you know, existential in itself. And on that note, maybe the question for you that we can maybe get into is uh, when did he become like a branding expert? Like, was this from the get go of his career? Because this was happening during his yeah. career. This logo. Totally. Thing. There's a specific moment when that. Okay. When that. Let's get. Let's get in. Let's get in. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine was '96 Masters. I mean, that was something happened there. I was, I was ten years <laughs> no, old. No spoilers. Uh, I was ten years old, probably you know just getting into golf, and I remember thinking like, "Man, that sucks." <laughs> well, it felt like people. What's that guy gonna do now? Like adults, I, I feel like I remember my dad and my dad's friends and everyone. Like everyone rooted for that guy. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. And it, it doesn't seem to be that way now necessarily, but and at that time maybe it's because he was the heartbreak kid. Like everyone wanted him to win that Masters and. Maybe just people didn't like Nick Faldo, which is a possibility as well. But that was everyone. I remember that day as a kid just being like devastated. Everyone was just devastated. My mom was just like, oh, another bogey. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I think but. that's one of my first golf memories. Is It was surreal watching it and not even really knowing the X's and O's of what was happening, but just bigger picture and seeing how everybody was reacting to yeah. it was jarring. Well, we will definitely cover that as well before we do get into it why don't sure. we just do this live um if you're listening to this episode it is tuesday which means episode nine of season five of taurus sauce has just aired on our youtube channel the season is brought to you by our friends at original penguin you will see us rocking original penguin gear uh throughout the entire series this episode uh chronicles our visit to pinehurst number two which just watched the episode. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, I just watched it a couple of nights ago. I had no idea our footage was this good. I did not know. <laughs> DJ Pie did some excellent, excellent work. Tell us a little bit about. I mean, people have hopefully seen the episode now, but take us there. Uh, what will people see there? If they you know what's seen cool it? is I was talking to Tron yesterday. I think it's the first episode where we've actually shown at least one shot of all 18 holes of the golf course. So if that probably tells you, like, you heard it here first, Pinehurst number two, excellent golf course. I'll just go ahead and say that right now. <laughs> Completely superb. Don't golf spoil course. the episode. I know, I know. But I don't also, want to spoil that. I would encourage you to still go watch it, but <laughs> it's a really good golf course. The, the highlight of our N golf Neil in 2019. I, yeah, Neil and I played a hickory match, uh, which I think we said was probably in our top one or two golf rounds of 2019. So but Neil might be a woke boy now. He's he's hickorito. It, it it helped tempo. It helped my tempo for sure. I'd also shout out Original Penguin. The golf gear is excellent. But the off the course, we've stuff, been deep I mean, in the I'm, off the course stuff I'm the last the few weeks. Right now. Yeah. The I mean, shorts have made. I think you said this on the on last yeah. week's. The shorts have made my quarantine that much more. <laughs> I look forward to putting them on every exactly. single night. They're the most comfortable shorts I own. Neil, your outfit at Pinehurst number two that day uh, was was full fire. full party boy shirt, the oh. man bun, Guys, stop, party boy stop. shirt. <laughs> You're making me blush here. <laughs> yeah. Come on, I'm not like the shark. I can't <laughs> handle this type of praise. So uh, if you want 30% off your first order at OriginalPenguin.com, go to OriginalPenguin.com slash NLU30. They'll email you a gift code or a, some kind of code for 30% off your order. Uh, and go swing by our YouTube channel and check out see episode 9. We've got one more after this one. Finale next Come week. Dramatic, dramatic 
Dramatic finale next Dramatic week. finish next week. And uh, thank you again to Original Penguin. Awesome stuff. Tobacco, Road. Every day. Tobacco Road, you can only watch it if you're above the age of 18. For sure. Definitely. Um, well, also, I think TC might be or, chiming or with in the parental guardian on on Instagram post post Epi to answer all those burning questions you have. But, but this, I'm guessing yeah, that will have already <laughs> happened. Oh, really? oh, you could go back and watch that. the replay, though. That's fine. Yeah, you could. We'll yeah. post the replay. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So back to the shark. Yes. El Tiburon. So early life. Let's start from the beginning. Let's how, do it. Le, how old is Greg Norman? 64. Okay. That was going to be the first number that popped into my head, too, actually. I was going to say 62. 65 years old. Oh. Okay. Born 1955, Gregory John Norman. Collecting uh, Social Security. February 10th, 1955, in Mount Isa, Queensland, Australia. Asked Maddie, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say Mount Isa, Queensland, other than the shark? He said, nothing really apart from Greg. <laughs> so there <laughs> okay. you have it. Queensland's hot as shit, right? It's the southern. That's oh, north. Northern. It's northern. Okay. Yeah. Toilets His, go the other way. What uh, <laughs> European nationality are uh, mother and father? Or mother specifically? So, some sort of Swedish? Okay. Maybe. I was gonna say I was gonna say Swedish, TC. <laughs> German. German. No, his mother was the daughter of a Finnish carpenter. Finnish. Okay. Yeah, Finland, and his father an electrical engineer. That's so, his heritage. That? <laughs> yeah, they're right. Well, <laughs> I, I've never been there. I don't think. I think his. I, I didn't get. I didn't his get father's a descendant father. of the. Could be Australian. Could be Australian. I think yeah. he's he's of the sure electrical engineers guild. He's yeah. a robot. His father was a robot. Yeah. Could be. But listen, next topic. Okay. <laughs> Do you think we weren't going to roast you a little bit during this thing? No, you, you definitely should. Deals all of a sudden like fuck. I hope there's. I hope this thing's really buttoned up here. <laughs> well, I got a lot of notes here, so there may be some misplaced. As you guys know, I have I have issues with typos. Yeah, I did not know his mom was. Um, so he aspired to be a professional surfer, played cricket, rugby. He was a real, real rugged, um, as he says in his own words. A sportsman. Um, you know, an outdoorsman, uh, kind of a backcountry kid. Sure. Um, says he was very timid, very shy, um, even up until his early professional career. And then at some point, he just decided to flip a switch, I that, guess. Yeah, that seems like the kind of thing that uh, sociopaths would say. Yes, I agree. Like, yeah, I've just always been so shy. But it's really? also, I, I want to let the shark speak in his own words. You're, he you're likes right, to do right. that. Um, and so... As he grew up, he picked up golf at age 15 uh, through his mother, and he went from uh, a 27 who was, handicap. Who was a who, finish? Who was finished? Yeah. Who was finished? Yes. Which uh, is ironic considering he couldn't finish. <laughs> Listen, you guys, you guys didn't know that though. So you can't, <laughs> wait, hold on. Yeah. You guys. Listen, you were all shocked by no, the, the Finland background, so don't. We're don't. trying to really drive it home. You need to hear something three times yeah. in order to yeah. really uh, let all it right, sink in. Listen, he picked up golf at age fifteen. Which can we stop on that? I never believe when anyone is like, "Oh, I didn't play until I was fifteen years old." Well, it sounds like I he wanted to do his, other cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he followed his mom out to the course, according to this is from a source ABC and not U.S. <laughs> version of ABC. We're talking about Australian okay. broadcasting company. Uh, they did a, a, a video profile from the '90s. Picked up golf at fifteen. Uh, went from a 27 handicap to a scratch handicap in 18 months, according to the documentary Driving Greg Norman uh, on ABC. He's like one of those LPGA players that we always that they pick it up at 11. Yeah. They're playing in the U.S. Women's Open I, at 12. I can say I buy that. I can is, see that. Is the ABC's source on this Greg Norman? <laughs> um, okay, I have to go back. I'm going to guess there was no corroborating source. <laughs> I have listen, read, kids. Kids I have pick read things stuff up, yeah. like that. Kids pick things up quick. They got. Ultra confidence. I, I, we can, we can move that? past he's that. He's a natural. He's natural. So 
we'll, you know, I, I use Wikipedia as well as a source. So we'll move past the early life stuff. I mean, I, that gives you kind of a background on, on the, and we'll stick to golf, stick to sports here. Sure. But uh, what happened on February 10th, 1975? He wins the Australian Amateur. Sally? Uh, that would be my guess. Sure. Shark attack on a swimmer in southern Australia has his right leg severed by a six-foot shark. It also happens to be Greg Norman's 20th birthday. So you guys tell me. I mean, <laughs> you know, Greg Norman's six foot, and he also turns pro that same year. So he turns pro at 20. Wait, a shark just bit a random person in Australia? Yeah, I looked up shark attacks in Australia. <laughs> like, and there was one that happened on his birthday as a 20-year-old, the same, and he turned pro, I, I think, think there's, a there's month probably later. shark attacks on a weekly basis in Australia, right? Actually, for sure. I'd, I'd, sh- I'd shout out to the Maybe people out there. Maybe not reported. There's a, it's really interesting. Like, they have a whole, it'll tell you, like, artery was severed, you know, died due to blood loss, you know, out doing... Uh, Abalone diving, no, or whatever. No, no free ads, but I want to give a, a shout out to the uh, the O Search Shark Tracker app. You can they got all kinds of sharks tagged. You can follow them all around the globe. It's very cool. Well, yeah. if, if I can kind of guess where you're going with this, kind of, is this kind of like a Spider Man situation? Are you saying <laughs> that like he became the shark I, on this day? I, I mean, I I found it to be you know at 20 years old, the, you know the shark grows up, and then a six foot shark on his birthday, his 20th birthday, the year he turns pro, attacks a swimmer. I'm also going to read it to maybe there's no other good reason why he's named the shark. Uh, <laughs> and you were maybe stretching for a while. Oh, you, this is the biggest Jack Reacher of all time. I spent <laughs> 30 minutes looking for a shark attack on his birthday. I was trying to find one like on his birthday, like when he was young, but I couldn't. But then it you know worked out. So listen, come on. Like, just allow me a little bit of okay, uh, okay. entertainment. So again, he turns pro in 1975, uh, served as assistant professional at Beverly Park Golf Club in Australia. And then he kind of starts on his competitive touring career. So, can I with, ask a question real quick? What, sure. What like what kind of shark is Greg Norman? Great white. The great white. white. The great white oh, shark. Yeah. Yeah, Why does sure. that come from? Great white shark enterprises. That's and, what. No, I don't know. That's I'm I'm with you. I don't know where the nickname comes. Well, from. I think so. Up near we'll Queensland okay, is the, we'll get there. the Great Barrier Reef, right? And they right. had great whites and okay. All yes, sorts of it's shit. it's very sharky waters all over Australia. Okay. Maybe something to ask Maddie as well. But I wanted to keep my questions for him topical just to respect his sure. time. All right, so let's let's guess at some numbers here, guys. How many professional tournaments did Greg Norman win his career? Are we including like worldwide, like, like that Australian, other tour, like yes. mini yeah. tour events? And then and then we... I will ask you how many PGA tour events he won. Seventy-one worldwide. One hundred and eight. I would say right around a hundred worldwide because I mean he probably won thirty in Australia before he even got to the European tour or the US tour. He won eighty eight worldwide okay. professional well, events. Kind of in the ballpark. How many on his world tour? <laughs> Unfortunately zero, <laughs> which we will get to in depth. How many PGA tour events? Eighteen. Fifteen? I'm gonna say twenty one. Twenty. Right. Twenty even. PGA tour events. Uh, lifetime member. Yeah. Uh, Huge. majors? Two. Two, right? Two UK British Opens presented by Her Majesty the Queen. Is that it? Yeah, it's crazy. It. <laughs> <laughs> Two British Opens. How many runner-up finishes did he have in majors? Eight. Six? I, I think it's six, actually. <laughs> I'll, sure. I'll defer. Solly gets it. Eight. Oh, sure. Eight runner-ups. How many top tens did he have in majors? 17. 20. Yeah, 31. 30. Whoa. Whoa. But TC overshoots it. Prices are right. DJ wins it. <laughs> Hey, uh, a dog or killer? <laughs> I, I guess. I guess a shark. 
I'll, I will ask that at the end. Yeah, maybe we wait till and we hear all the evidence. My final question. <laughs> <laughs> so we will also cover that. Uh, so how many times did Norman finish number one on the money list on the PGA Tour? Three. Nine. Four. Seven times. 1986, 87, 89, 1990, 1995, 96, and 1997. That's some pretty serious longevity. It really For is. real. Yeah. Career earnings. Golf related. Like like on, on, course, on course PGA Tour on or course all winnings. All worldwide. worldwide. Just golf. So, so I consider bad, especially because Norman with the World Golf Tour, I think he would appreciate that I consider all professional tournaments and his, his global It's just so impact. hard to place these because yeah. the person is probably so not different. that much. Like 30, 31 million dollars. Like Thirty five. I was gonna say about twenty six million. Just over ten million dollars. What? Whoa. Yeah. Holy uh, shit! And you let guys me just you, pause. You Rory, Rory won fifteen that, million that is off FedEx of, Cup last year. That's off. That's a Wikipedia. So that that's uh, I didn't get that from a maybe the most trusted source, but I, I would think that's that's accurate. Um, his estimated net worth ah, as of yeah, this maybe. year, three hundred million, one hundred and ninety-four million dollars, six hundred million. I got. Anywhere from uh, three different sources, three hundred fifty pre, pre-coronavirus. Or no, <laughs> yeah, well, good point. So this was this. We're talking pre-COVID nineteen. So three hundred fifty million to four hundred million dollars is the uh, take thirty percent off. We get right back to yeah. three hundred. I've got almost fifteen million in just PGA Tour earnings on okay. course for his on that site. So it's got to be more than that much. Yeah, I got it. Okay, I think we're gonna have to get back with the fact checkers on that one. Okay. Well, well, no. I mean, I, I'm. If some of my facts are off, listen, I'm I'm, Neil's I'm a moving big Wikipedia fast. Guy. <laughs> so I should have I should have checked that one. That was more of kind of a to get the conversation going. But let's say it's under twenty minutes. <laughs> Thank you for starting the, for starting the conversation. <laughs> well, no, at least. in honor of the shark, he's chumming the water. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to spark some discussion here. So we'll say fifteen million. But it's still, all, like if it's under twenty, it's still in that. That's still pretty shocking. The the onus of any of these facts is on the listener to go verify all of them. <laughs> well, not well. I'll none give of you the these. Sources. I'll give none you. of these are validated by by the. I'll uh, give you the sources. You know. We're gonna get so many Australians chiming in, being like, "You guys are fucking morons." <laughs> these like for sure. He won three point one million. Years euros on the euro tour um so it's so we're around 18 million between pga tour and but which is lower than i thought which to your point is is good that doesn't include australian uh money but that honestly couldn't have been that much either that adjust that, for inflation you probably you're probably up around 30 million in yeah. today's dollars yeah. right claim to fame regarding majors close close calls probably the, you're asking you're for, asking for like one specific one or one one specific one. The yeah. Masters, eighty six, right? I would say ninety six. No, it's 96, related sorry, to all. Sorry. It's related to all four. I mean, eighty six was bad too, but is runner runner up, up in all four. all four. Close. The only golfer to lose in a playoff in all four majors. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He lost in a playoff at the Masters. Yes. What year? Larry Mize. Yeah, Mize. Oh, that's Mize right. Chipped oh Mize chipped in on him. That's, I forgot about Larry. If you watch that final round, which we will get oh. to, it is he handles it. As good as you could, but you can just see him gritting his teeth. Like that was eighty seven. Fucking can't mm-hmm. believe you just chipped that in. That was eighty seven. That yes. was after, after the year after he blew Bob it against Tway in eighty six. At yeah. the yeah. Oh, <laughs> Bob yeah. Tway chipped it on him in that playoff. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and then we'll get to the other ones. We but, start uh, chipping it on deal. <laughs> so career professional playoff record. And this is across all tours, and I'll, then I'll give you the PGA one. This is verified. Four and twelve. Okay. Uh, two and ten. I'm gonna. I'll co-sign Sally's. Six and sixteen. Okay. Oh worldwide God. in playoffs. Man, that's tough. 
two and you, eight in PGA Tour playoffs. Do you guys want to do the dog killer question now? Or <laughs> yeah. You guys want to wait. But I will say this. Uh, I asked Maddie this as well. What comes to mind related to golf when I mentioned Greg Norman's name? And he said, uh, the best driver of the golf ball yeah. I've ever seen. Other than Tron. In an era when you could separate yourself. Yes. Small heads. Yes. So I said, uh, my note here is the ultimate driving machine. And then I have a quote from Nick Price in a 2009 world golf piece. The best driver I ever saw was Greg Norman. When Greg and I first played together in the late 1970s, his standard ball flight was a slight upshooter. His <laughs> ball behaving like a rising line drive. It would hang at the peak of its trajectory and then fall out of the sky. Greg was a straight driver and long enough, but he gave the impression he wasn't getting a full payoff for that great swing. Then at some point in the mid-1980s, Greg figured it out. Through a combination of finding the right driver and hitting the ball more on the upswing, he began launching it much higher. Moreover, when it reached the high point of its flight, it continued to fly forward rather than flutter down like a wounded duck, and it ran after it hit the ground. By improving the final one-third of his ball flight, Greg became super long with no loss of accuracy. My, that could be you. My be recollection of, of him is just it's the tempo and the yeah. ferociousness with, Fearlessness. with which he, he swung. There was no fear in the driver's swing. Looked, yeah, he a, la- a little he, bit like the, the really early Tiger stuff. He lashes at absolutely it. lashing at it, but also perfectly on balance. Yeah. And, yeah, but I found like even on Wikipedia itself, it was it was a quote like he intimidated fellow players with the way that he drove the ball. Like it was just like, man, that's that is majestic. The ball, the ball flight. It sounds like it was just. Uh, although I will say this, uh, he struggled in the early '90s with what? Quick hook. No idea. The big right. The miss. big right. <laughs> <miss. laughs> <laughs> Which we'll get to. <laughs> was um, he like the original Bryson, where he, he bulked up a lot and and then started dealing with? Well, we'll when get, did he bulk up? We'll oh, get we'll later. get to that in the in the mid to late nineties, okay. and and he had he basically early two thousands career kind of comes off the rails two thousand five two thousand six due to uh, surgery back and hip surgery and he, so I, I got a quote in here but he says that if he had come to strength training earlier he feels like it would have avoided it it improved his longevity. So first win was at the West Lakes Classic at the the Grange Country Club in Adelaide. He then set off for the Euro Tour in in 77, winning the Martini Invitational the same year (laughs) in Scotland. Uh, He ended up beating up the Martini Invitational. I think he won it back-to-back years. Was that the Dunhill before the Dunhill? I think it was. was. Yes. So he wins that in 77. I think he wins it in 78 too. What was the the Sharks' first uh, national open win? Uh, Spanish Open. Denmark. Aussie Open. All good guesses. The French Open in 1980, he won by 10 shots. Uh, but he also wins his first Australian Open in 1980, uh, his first of five Australian Opens. Sheesh. So that's kind of, and I think TC had his way, those would be majors. I, I don't know. This He'd is have more seven majors. thought for me. It uh, is a major. I think that's how the Aussie Open win is how he got into the Masters. If I'm, is that, or maybe it was his Euro Tour. But uh, the point being, 1981 is his first Masters. Do you guys remember who won 1981 Masters? Fuzzy Zeller. Raymond Floyd. Ray Floyd would be my guess. Tom Watson. So I spent Mr. Watson. an hour yesterday watching the final round, like the last six holes. It is, it's appointment viewing. Like I would love for us to, to do a live rewatch. It's unbelievable. The, the clothing... The telecast, everything about it. And Watson's just an absolute swashbuckler. Norman or uh, Jack Nicholas is playing in the group ahead of Watson and Norman. Uh, Norman's fresh on the scene, just like bleach blonde hair. He's wearing plaid pants. Uh, he hits this unbelievable like three iron or two iron into 15. 
like TC said earlier, it's the way he's hitting the ball. You can just hear the the way the crowd's reacting. And it was kind of like his coming out party a little bit. And that's also where the nickname The Shark was born. Go on. Well, I don't know much more about it than that. He was bit by, <laughs> he was bit by a shark in Augusta? No, it's just that's where, from the quote sources, that's where the nickname stuck. I don't know who, who gave him the nickname, though. Do you guys know? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, so listen. There's a homework assignment. Homework assignment for the audience. I couldn't find the source of the shark nickname, but I, I did find that it was uh, in his third place finish at the Masters that year. Elkington claims to have given him the nickname Tiburon, which is just shark in Spanish, but that's all I can give you. Well, I'll take take Elk's one of the most reliable sources. <laughs> can we talk about for a second his, his, his Aussie Open record? Because that's So he won five of them. Won a couple at Royal Melbourne. One, TC, you're you're, oh, uh, okay. you're taking over the lesson. Okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> this is all. Is that we're, part of it? Yes. Is that part all, of it? I want to make sure that the Aussie Open TC is getting is the, the kid raising his hand to respect. the answer for every question. TC panders to the Australians. <laughs> just, uh, so, so, people, so people can follow along. We're going in a timeline year to year, and I'll try to move it along here. So what else happens in 1981? It's not golf related. Ronald Reagan starts the war on drugs. <laughs> I believe that's true. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Is this a personal thing? Marries his first wife, uh, okay. Laura Andrassi, and becomes a resident, permanent resident of the United States. Did he move to Jupe? He kind right, of started right the away? whole Jupe life thing. Yeah, right? he did. He moved to Florida, but he's never become a U.S. citizen. He's always kept his Australian passport, uh, something he's very proud of. Um, 1982 leads must, the money list. Boned on taxes. <laughs> on leads the money list on the Euro Tour for the first time and wins back to back British Masters in 81 and 82. So he starts to really buck his head over on the Euro Tour. 83 seems not a ton going on. I think he continues to, to buck over on the, the Euro Tour. He, he makes the cut at the Masters both 82, 83, 84. First PGA Tour victory. Where was it? The, the Kemper Open. The Shark Shootout. That's exactly right. God, that's Are you a, looking at my computer? Guess. No, I'm not. I just I always, I always I guess have the it literally Open. in bold. The Kemper Open. Are you sure you're not looking at <laughs> my I swear to God, I'm trying to find who gave him this nickname. Okay. The following week, he sunk a 45-foot putt on the 72nd hole of the U.S. Open, the 1984 U.S. Open, to force a playoff with who? Uh, 84 U.S. Open? 84 U.S. Open. Like Dave Stockton or something? No. I just talked to Dave yesterday. Uh, it didn't, <laughs> didn't come up. It didn't come up. That's kind of a layup. <laughs> uh, Larry Nelson. No. Uh, hold on. 84... No, no, looking at my Scantron, TC. <laughs> I'm staring out the window. Scantron. A, B, C, C, D, A. <laughs> no idea. Fuzzy Zeller. There you have it. So they go on to play a playoff, Monday playoff. Fuzzy make any Vegemite? You can keep going. I'll look Fuzzy make okay. any Vegemite jokes about the potential U.S. Open Champions dinner? Not that I read, <laughs> but I didn't. I actually didn't <laughs> dig into Rick Jesus. Riley's game uh, game story there. So Zeller ends up shooting 67. What did Norman shoot on in the Monday playoffs? This is Wingfoot. Wingfoot, yes. Uh, 75. That's exactly right. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of his first uh, Icarito his first, experience. whoa. That's yeah. not even an Icarito, though. That's just That's like, a slow, I will point slow out, drip. in nine in the 1981 Masters, Watson, the final round, he doesn't fade. Like, he charges, yeah. right? But Watson just holds him off. So he makes, like, an awesome 12-foot par putt on 16. Like, it's an awesome drive on 17. Ike's tree is out there in all its glory. So is this in 84? Is this kind of the first the first scar tissue? How, and, and how old are we at this this point? Like 20, what, 27, 29? So 75, 75, he's 20. 
So he's yeah, he was born yeah, in twenty nine. Yeah. Man, golfers were so much yeah. older in their peaks. Back Just then. to add to the kind of you know for the record on the dog versus killer combo that we will inevitably have here, I feel like a lot of his wins, like like the two British Masters wins that you reference back to back, eighty one and eighty two. Won the first one by four strokes. Won the second one by eight strokes. Like the guy, like when he, he when could he, run away. He yeah. ran well, away. That's what I'm, I'm crushed I'm people. Getting at is so Norman also won another national open in 1984. What was it? Canadian Open. Trophy that's exactly song. right. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian Open. And he shot 62 in the final round there. Jesus. So like he had the ability. Shades of Rory. He had a real Jacques Cousteau gear. <laughs> where he did he it could, the players like, too, which I'm sure yeah. we'll get to. Like that he, was 94 he, or something. Like a true shark, like he stayed underwater. Like yeah. when he went low, he stayed way down there. But then he would breach, right? Then he would just <laughs> fawn around, like just shoot <laughs> up and try to. He'd end up on the beach. <laughs> yeah. So then he, he'd breach and, and that's when he had problems. Uh, I, 1984 was, was another big milestone outside of golf. What was it? I guess inside of golf too. 84, the, Olympics? Uh, the, the Los Angeles Olympics. No, it is when he founded. Also, not when the Lake Placid. It's when he founded Great White Shark <laughs> oh, sure. Enterprises. Oh, oh, so go. that was the beginning of the business shark. Uh, what opened? So that's kind of surprising, actually, that he was. You know, to go back to the age, I thought he was uh, a lot younger when he was contending in a lot of these majors, and I thought he was a lot older when he started all the business stuff. So yeah. So then in '85, he goes ham down in Australia. Wins the Australian Open. Also wins the Australian PGA Championship. Um, I believe he won the Australian Masters as well. I think he won that tournament eight times. The Triple Crown. Yeah. RIP to the Australian Masters. But then 86 is, in my notes here, it's the auto year. And for listeners out there, that's the year of the takeover. That's when the, the shark... Yeah, almost. <laughs> what about, can we do like Yatoa? Like year <laughs> of the but, almost but here, takeover? But it's worth, it's worth noting, yes, there are, there's, there's an ample amount of heartbreak, but it's really where he establishes himself as like the guy. He becomes number one in the world. It's an absolute feeding frenzy for the shark. How many worldwide events did he win in 1986? Seven. Twelve. Nine. Eleven. Including two PGA events, Vegas Invitational and Kemper Open again. Wins four wins in Australia, his first major, the Open Championship. Obviously, 1986 is remembered for a different reason, <laughs> the Saturday Slam. The shark held the lead in all four majors after 54 holes in 1986. Oh. He, oh. again, I just want to point out, he truly is. Did you the say that one Hickory. more time? <laughs> Literally all four majors. In he was the leader on Saturday night. The shark was the leader of all four majors. He won one of those majors. Where was oh. the uh, golf is so hard? Where was the British Open that year? He won the British Open at Turnberry. So 80, we'll start with the 86 Masters. Norm began the final round with a one-stroke lead, which he maintained until he double bogeyed the tenth. After making four consecutive birdies on holes 14 to 17, Norman was tied with Jack Nicholas going into the 18th. Norman queefed, queefed, queefed. <laughs> a four iron into 18 green and missed a par put on the 18th that would have sent him into a sudden death playoff. Jack wins. Norman's quote from uh, Rick Riley's game piece, though, which was, an, uh, go back and read that one if you have time. Quote, we heard the roars for Nicholas on 15 and then another roar and another, Norman recalls. By that time, Nicky, Nick Price and parentheses and i were back there with about 50 people following us so i said to nikki let's do something to wake these people up and so he rattles off uh birdies i think three straight 14 no i guess four straight 14 through 17 so again there he didn't necessarily choke that one away i guess he missed the putt on 18 but if you watch the putt i mean it is a good putt like even the, now everybody's saying like god how does that i think it's more the shot from the, the four iron was not <laughs> good was not good yes well he like also on the 10th it team. turns out that he hit that same club on i think he hit it on on 10 which led to the double bogey wow. how about hitting a four iron i was gonna say 18? yeah how much more interesting well is that? it's interesting you say that because he decides to take three wood off the tee at 18 
Oh. And finds a fairway, but it puts four iron in his hands, which is the club he had caused a double bogey on 10 as well. I would argue... All from Rick Riley's game piece. Was he really leading... Is it possible to lead the Masters after 54 holes? Because the tournament doesn't, doesn't start. Even start. That's a fantastic point. So maybe he, maybe the Saturday Slam is is not real. Can I ask you a question? When you were uh, chasing the mega bonus at Forest Park and got to the 13th hole, mm-hmm. what'd you hit on the tee? Uh, I hit a three wood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, the shark and I are are uh, you know I don't know if the shark had to deal with the C suite though. I don't know if anybody called him on uh, on 12 tee at Augusta. Question for you: What? Um, is he firmly between kind of two generations? Like, who are his peers? That's a good question. So it sounds like Seve is, is, it, is, is it, a, they traded. Seve and Faldo? Yeah, they, Seve and he traded and number Price. one in the world. Yeah. Also, I forgot to ask you guys a question at the beginning. I'm just going to pause because it's an important one. How many weeks did Greg Norman spend as the number one ranked golfer in the world? He held the record before the cat, I believe. Like 100 it's, it's, and something. It's like, I want to say like 300. 331 weeks. Yeah. Sheesh. And that was another thing Maddie said. Six, Other than generational weeks, driver of the golf ball, God. he said, I, I don't really think, I think more about him just being number one like for like years yeah. at a time. Oh, he was just like really disputed. good for he a was, really long time. He couldn't win the big one, but he was the best golfer in the world. Like kind of just like, yeah, Norman's the best. Yeah. So basically throughout the late 80s. Is, is he, he DJ? Is he Ricky? <sighs> no. But no. If Rick, no, but like if. <laughs> If Ricky ascended to number one, Ricky might be like without winning like a bunch of very, very, very diet, all aspartame. Greg Norman, going back though, only what, only from a branding so perspective. Watson, Watson's earlier. Watson earlier than him. I guess Faldo it's was like, a contemporary. Yeah, it's like Faldo as and, well, and Seve and Seve, Nick Price. I think Nick right? Price is definitely yeah. Nick Price in the nineties. Right, he was number one in in like ninety five, ninety six. Maybe Brent I'd say Crenshaw. So let's go to the U.S. Open eighty six. Uh, where was that played? Like Southern Hills? Shinnecock. Oh, right. Was that uh, the Ray Floyd one? Yes, it was. That was my next question. Who won it? So Ray Floyd win. Norman falters. He's leading after 54 holes, uh, finishing with a final round 75, placing him six strokes behind Raymond Floyd. So the guy ran away and, and hid. I think he had a one-stroke or two-stroke lead. But, I feel um, like playing against Ray Floyd at Shinnecock maybe isn't fair. <laughs> playing against Ray Floyd? At, at Shinnecock. Well, which is speaking of another kind of oral history that somebody should pick up is I don't know shit about Raymond Floyd. Yeah. And he seems, from what I've heard, maybe off the record, it seems like he might have been like the biggest alpha on the PGA Tour. <laughs> he might not have been the best golfer, but he might have been the biggest alpha. <laughs> I'll, qu- I'll quote Elk here. Yeah, he owned titty joints, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he loses the U.S. Open after shooting 75 to Raymond Floyd. We move on to... Uh, the Open Championship, Norman shoots 63 on Friday at Turnberry. Tom Watson described it as the greatest tournament round ever played in which I was a competitor. That you quote, remember this is all pre-Ken Duke. But that quote reminded me so much of stuff that TC says. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, that's the, literally the greatest golf hole I've ever played. It's it's literally the greatest hole I've ever played, but it's not the best hole in the world. <laughs> it's not the best hole in the course. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've read several Watson quotes, like, like the Bally Bunyan quote. Like, it's the greatest piece of... Pro, you know, it's like yeah. he's he's making a lot of. Uh, I'm not prone to hyperbole. You take this all away. We could we could check the tape. Like you saying, I'm not prone to hyperbole is hyperbole. <laughs> we could we could check the tape. I go to that Cuban place three four times a month, <laughs> a week. 
All right, so from Rick Riley's game piece, quote, after blowing more leads than Inspector Clouseau, <laughs> including one-shot last-day margins at this year's Masters and U.S. Open, Norman delivered a steady enough one under 69 on Sunday to plunder Gordon J. Brand and anybody else you've hardly heard of by five shots. Gordon Brand. <laughs> he felt it inside, said Norman's wife, Laura. He told me on the Concord coming over, I'd like to lead by four, I'd like to lead for four rounds and win. I thought that quote for so many reasons was was awesome. It has the Jack Reacher. Uh, I think she felt it. <laughs> the Concord. It's so good. Bonus points. Who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated for that uh, for that article? Who was? Who was? This was eighty six. This was nineteen eighty six. Uh, it would be like July, August. Daryl Strawberry. God, that's pretty close. Really? Really Bobby close. Bonilla. Doc Gooden? No. Drew, Drew Good. Yeah, Doc Gooden. No. Uh, Drew Gooden would be Ricky up. Henderson. <laughs> Ricky <laughs> Henderson yeah, was close. as the Yankee Bronx burner, leadoff man extraordinaire. Yeah. Who did Norman play with that Sunday at Turnberry? Watson. Japanese pro Tommy Nakahima. God, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't let these guys finish. So there's a great quote in, Ry- in Rick Riley's piece, it's, too. I think it's Nakajima. Nakajima. Think, Sorry. I don't, I don't think the J is, is, is silent like an H. So it's yogging then, too? <laughs> um, anyway, he's talking about uh, Nakajima played great the whole week and that his dad used to make him train for uh, rainy rounds by making him hit balls with a shower head, just dumping water on him when he was growing up. Did it rain? Sounds like oh the weather the weather at Turnberry that week was horrible. So he shot sixty three. I don't think anybody else broke par in that Friday round. Shades of Sean O'Hare. The wind apparently the wind that week was crazy, uh, and Norman just like kind of vaporized everybody. And that's why Watson's quote was like, "It's the best tournament round of golf I've ever seen." Just to be clear, a lot of people broke par on that second. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody shot sixty three though. Did anybody come close to that? Uh, I see a sixty seven. That's he vaporized the field, but there was some under par. So I'm just going off of Mr. Watson's quote. You know, still, (laughs) (laughs) still pretty, pretty good. It makes you think. Listen, I appreciate (laughs) trust, but verify. Thank you. Anyways, eighty seventy won all four majors. (laughs) That conversation's end here, and and we're going to start a new one. So who? Uh, so he shot a final round sixty nine in that uh, to win by five strokes. Who else led the tournament that week? I have the Wikipedia open, so I can't. I PGA can't. Tour Commissioner Dean really Beeman Tim Fincher <laughs> for thirty minutes on Thursday with a first round seventy five. He was a leader in the clubhouse for thirty. How minutes. about that? Yeah, uh, and everybody. There's a bunch of quotes about how he qualified, went over and qualified for the Open, and everybody like all the players, are like man, you know, great player in his own right. So, and then they asked him, he misses the cut. He shoots like seventy eight. He's the commissioner next day. at the time. Uh, I believe he was, yes. No, 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 he was, he was pre, oh, I guess he was. He was, but that's yeah. the thing. He was the PGA Holy shit. He qualified Steaming for, the, for the, uh, the Open. That's then, like, that's I mean, awesome. everybody's freaking out when, and granted, it was very impressive, when Brandel goes and like qualifies for the, the senior Open. Imagine literally the PGA Tour Commissioner going and qualifying yeah. for the Open. And so then, nuts. so then he shoots like, you can check me on this, but it's like 77, 78, something like that. He misses the cut. And they're like, you know, I thought you got to be, you got to be. I thought he shot an Open round 75. No, open round, but it's Friday. Okay. So then he misses the cut by shooting like 78 or something. And he, they're like, man, you got to be happy with the performance. He's like, I'm never satisfied with a missed cut. Like <laughs> something just like, you know, expecting way That's too cool, much man. of himself. I came yeah, here to like, win. Oh, great, man. You Can know? you imagine? I don't tee it up unless I have a chance. Him getting a ruling and, <laughs> you know, like all the, all the conspiracy all the theorists people, yeah. of, of, you know, like Slugger or Paramore, whomever comes up. And, did, he, did he give himself any FedEx cut points for the missed cut? Listen, I'll let you look that up. Okay. Okay. I don't want to overstep anymore. Uh, okay, so 1986 PGA Championship. Norman shoots a final round 76 after holding the 54 oh, hole lead. I didn't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> to lose by two strokes to who? Uh, that's Bob. Bob Tway. Bob Tway. 
Oh, I thought that was in a, okay. Going back, this would have been Federal Express. That's true. That's a great point. So I had a question. Sorry, final round 76. He was leading. uh, I don't know about how many, but he was the 54-hole leader, shoots 76 in the final round. So he played the final group of every major two. Was this this at Southern Hills? uh, I don't have that in my notes. I'm not sure. Usually the leader does play in the final. Well, yeah, Yeah, for sure. This Um, was kind of of a Richie (laughs) Richie Tenenbaum. This is an Inverness kind of vibe. Inverness, that's right. I kind of had a quote here for Spark a Little Discussion. He had a four-shot lead going into... That, yeah, it was in Icarito. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> who helped? Who Listen, else? Bob, that's fun. Has anybody else done something similar since where they either the Saturday Slam or the you know just basically getting this close in a in one specific golf year? That'd be Ricky. That's what I had in my notes. Ricky 2014. was twenty fourteen when he goes five and all. top, top five, five in all of them, them. second and two of them. Is I that think so? Something like that. Yeah, definitely Pinehurst. But but that's where it was like Pinehurst. Like, yeah, he finished second, but he lost by eight. Yeah. Yeah. Speets run in 15. Yeah. I mean, he won two of them. He won two, though. <laughs> he was a shot out of the playoff in yeah. the Open Championship and then finished second to Jason Day at the PGA. So, one, one, fourth, second. It's decent. That's, listen, that's pretty good. So, 87. Heartbreak at the Masters. Burns the edge on a 20 foot birdie to win on 18. So, it's five in a row now. Yes. Jesus. In a sudden death playoff with who? Larry Mize. And Mize. There's another. And, there's, uh, a, there's a three-way oh. playoff. God, I know Jeff Sluman. No. Is it fuzzy? Sevy. Sevy mm. and Larry Mize. Sevy eliminated uh, Ooh, on tough, 10. Tough feeling for uh, Larry Mize and out then there, I would think. Larry Mize. A ton, of, ton of fans rooting for uh, it's it's from Augusta. From Augusta. That's yeah. right. So then Larry Mize uh, chips in on 11, which was super salty to watch on the – on the YouTube Masters, but if you go back and wa- watch it, people forget that Larry Mize hit the like the mega <laughs> alpha omega queef <laughs> yeah. fairway, and Norman hit to like pin high, like twenty five feet. I mean, he, he before the ball, it's it's he doesn't even complete his backswing. And he's oh my god, it's just <laughs> like it's almost in the gallery. It's no, unbelievable. No, 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 no. He like turns away in disgust, and then yeah, then he chips it in. I mean, that wasn't even like a chip in. That was like he hold a a. Lob yeah. wedge pitch. It was yeah. forty yards. He was so far right. Well, it bounces like two or three times on the fringe, and then just right. just it's drippy trickles. boy yeah. down to the hole. So, but also I, I got a little bit of nostalgia. They announced twice during the playoff that we're going directly to sixty minutes uh, after this playoff <laughs> is over. So something's never changed, which is sweet about CBS. Yeah. So it's like just just a reminder that we'll be we'll be going right to sixty minutes after this is over. A lot of people have reached out over the past past week, been like, yeah, I watched this Masters, I watched that Masters, like. CBS, it's the same exact broadcast yeah, today yeah. versus like they have not improved or enhanced one thing. We were talking about what going back to watch the 2010 because we're like, Anthony Kim makes a run at it. And I was like, guys, what are the chances that CBS got his big birdie run on the back nine? So that same year, TC, shout out to you and, and all your Aussie hitters. Norman won the Australian Masters and the Australian Open. So that's 1987. That Australian Open was at Royal Melbourne. This would have been the time when Tron would have been on Twitter had it existed. Be like, yeah, dude, I know he's not winning these like American majors, but you're not you're not even paying attention <laughs> to what he's doing down here in this Australian swing. He won one of these the, are probably better stop, tournaments if you look at the off, courses. Stop looking at my fucking notes. Okay, <laughs> no, I looked it up. Well, you're not mentioning the the margin of victory too. You won. I I haven't gotten there yet. He won by <laughs> ten sh- shots at Royal Melbourne. These victories put him back on top, number one in the world. Who did he knock off from number one? Nick Price. No. In in, in 88? 87. 87. Faldo. 
Seve. Seve. Uh. Yeah. So they traded. Was it was Norman and Seve then Norman? Solly was Norman kind of a uh, OWGR manipulator with some of these international wins. <sighs> Makes you think. <laughs> now I'm into this podcast. <laughs> that that will be another uh, another pod. Co-vision pod another coming pod up for another day. on the OWGR. Uh, 1988. Um, a bit of a quiet year. Um, what tournament did he win though? Kemper Open. No. <laughs> it's Australian one, Open. One near and dear to, to NLU's heart. The players. John Deere. No. Heritage. Oh, okay. Hilton Head. So he had um, it. He could do it all, sweet. man. Yeah. That's a so five tool player. Exactly. exactly. So eighty eight. That's pretty much the only note I had there. And eighty nine. Uh, biggest event of nineteen eighty nine. Follow the Soviet Union. No, the kid was born. Oh. Come on. But yes, there was, a, uh, I think the uh, challenger that, blew up too. Wasn't that 91? Maybe it was 91. I, I realized um, as that was coming out, that might not be right. So what in 1989, what two majors did the Shark almost win? I don't know. The Masters and the Open. The Open and the PGA. Open PGA. The Masters. Shark misses a 12-footer on 18 to get it off, get into a playoff Jesus. in the 1989 Masters with who? Uh, was that... 89 is Sandy Lyle. Faldo. And Scott Hoke. Oh, okay. Faldo wins it. In 1989, what sponsor was Norman rocking on his sleeve? Cobra? No, it's a good one. Spalding? McDonald's. Really? Really? Golden Arches, yes. So he's he's in deep with fast food, which was pretty interesting. It was kind of... Antithetical. I know, but his, watching the Masters uh, replay was like, wait, is that the is that the Mac- McDonald's arches there? So um, that was back before branding had to be, you know, like authentic and all this stuff. You could just put a logo on anything. Didn't one of my matter. favorites was when Fuzzy was rocking Kmart. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So Faldo, or uh, you ever go there? No, <laughs> they're paying me. Is is he was wearing Reebok and he had the, the golden arches on his on his sleeve. Um, and then 1989 Open Championship. What happened and where was it played? Why don't you tell us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you yeah, guys no, no, thinking. I, mean, I know. Listen, I'm, I'm, li- I'm a, wrapped with your storytelling. Uh, Royal Troon. The Shark shot a final round 64. Is this Calc? Yes. Royal Tron. <laughs> Starting his round with six straight birdies to force his way into a playoff with six Mark Kalkovecchia and Wayne Grady. Going into the final playoff hole, Norman and Kalkovecchia were tied. But two successive bunker shots by Norman gave Calc the victory. What did he shoot? So he started off with six. He shot a final round 64 to get into a playoff. He started with six straight birdies. That that might be the ultimate Icarito. I know. But again, he like charged to get into the playoff, and then he just, I think he left one in the bunker uh, on the final playoff hole. So I'll say this. He made a lot of runs to get very close, and then it kind of fell apart at the end. And then when he had big leads, he just lit himself on fire and was not even close. That seems to be kind of a trend. Yes, but he also ran away and hid a lot too, in just not in the Masters. Yeah, <laughs> the Masters. He, he didn't have like fifty-four hole lead and like grind it to the finish and win by one or two. Right. It was no. He didn't. He did not have the Tiger formula. You know, what no. he kind of sounds like who? Rory. Listen, mm. a, 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 a recency bias, Rory. Rory doesn't have close calls though. Like Rory has Rory wins or is not there. Did, well, but he has like a lot of one, like he's got a recently, lot of late leads been, that he he's all of a sudden in, is like non-factor by like the thirteenth hole, like in the especially this year it seems like he's been kind of like the last five years in the majors. Yeah, are they Listen, late? Are they nobody late, likes Rory? Are they late me, leads but. or is it Rory poking around one or within one or two shots of the lead? I think it's more of that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I don't. Rory doesn't fold. 
Like he doesn't outright like it's he's got to like he's got to make you know he's got to play the, exactly yeah. he doesn't do that, but he does a lot of the what you're saying where it's like Saturday night it's like oh Rory's for sure the guy and then by the seventh hole it's like okay yeah who else what else is going on it's, I mean I think the him. shark was the original Omar GIF though like it sounds like <laughs> shark co- shark coming, coming. Yeah. you know what I mean like blood is in the water shark is charging uh, so 1990 what elite tournament did he win for the first time the players. Oh. John Deere. <laughs> the Memorial. Oh, okay, sure. Right. One of Jack's plays in 1990, but he also misses his first cut at Augusta that year. Solly, would you have been there in 1990? Nope, wasn't there yet. How many Masters had he played at that point? So 81 was his first. So, so, so he, he made his played first. 81 Masters? No, <laughs> sorry, 1981. So, so he made eight or nine cuts in a row Yeah, right off the bat. And then from a psychological perspective, is – is he starting to build up scar tissue at this point? Is there anything, any quotes that you found? Yes. You're, that, or you're, maybe I'm, maybe I'm see, jumping ahead. You're, you're sniffing around the keister, okay. and I like it, okay? He's bringing the teacher an apple you, here. You are. <laughs> TC is the te- Yeah, he's trying to be the teacher's pet. This oh, is bullshit. All right, so also in 1989, he wins the, uh, or sorry, 1990, he won the Australian Masters for the sixth time and finishes atop the PGA money list. So it was a good year. 91, the shark slump kind of begins. Started working with what coach? Butch Harmon. Butch Harmon. That's right. right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so quote from Butch Harmon uh, from a Golf Digest piece. Um, I started working with Greg Norman in 1991 shortly after he lost his number one world ranking to Nick Faldo. Greg had developed a flaw in his swing. He'd slide his hips so hard towards the target on the downswing that the club would drop behind him, sometimes sometimes causing a fatal block to the right. That is literally the Neil diagnosis <laughs> right there. the big rightness. <laughs> He's got uh, a ton of speed, but his hips are out of control. <laughs> he just he's, he's, he's letting it go too early. I knew we had to get him to rotate his hips earlier, coming down to take away some of that slide. Greg is the most focused person I've ever been around. When he wants something, he is relentless, and he, he's committed to making the change. It was grueling at times, but two years later, he got back to number one. The lesson for me was great players can physically do whatever you ask them to do. It's a very transparent process. You're either right or wrong, and you better be right. End quote. So 91, How about 92, Butch working with just like all the best players ever? Yeah, he, he gets... <laughs> Starting like then. He kind of rebuilds it. Um, so I don't, have, I don't have much as far as career-wise, but then 93 is kind of the return of the shark. What's the big win that year? The players. Uh, to start out that, that, that spring. I think that was 94. Wasn't no, that was 94. Damn it. I don't <laughs> want to talk about that win. No, this is a layup. I gotta, he wins the, the Open, open. Right? He wins yeah. the Open at Royal St. George and sets what record that's since been broken? The 72-hole scoring record. No. Lowest final round. Oh, right. 64. 64. Broken by Brendan Grace. Brendan Grace. In a, that was the U.S. Open. Stenson. Right. Against Phil. Right. Oh, right. Right. Shot 63. Oh, Grace was third round. Good call. Um, also returns to world that? number one. Wasn't that U.S. Open? 93. Um, but bigger and Stenson? off the course. Grace? No, 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 Grace. No, Grace was at Burkdale, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Disregard. He gets back to Sorry, world we number kind one. Of, we, we breezed past that. Any, any, any other notes from winning the Open? No, but I think it's one of the most iconic. I think everybody's seen you know Norman walking down the fairway, and so uh, that was his second and last major. major correct. Yes, I think it was. But it was a big. It was kind of the return, and then he gets back to world number one that year. It's a pretty pretty quick return to yeah. ninety ninety one similar 92 to the, were, were kind of the, a bit of a wilderness similar to the tiger. Uh, you know the Tiger Wilderness years, where he's kind of rebuilding. So it's like Cat ten years before, yeah. basically. Big news there on on outside of golf. He also broke away from his agency IMG 
and began representing himself in 1993. Also very much um, like that. <laughs> and he signed a lifetime deal with Reebok that year. Reebok CEO Paul Fireman, CEO at the time, shout Paul Fireman. To, shout out to Liberty National. Right? Exactly. Uh, said this, quote, a lot of athletes want to develop a brand, Fireman says. It's not so much what you do, it's what you're willing not to do. It's refusing the easy money when someone wants to put a logo on your shirt or your hat, something that takes you out of character and makes you a billboard. Greg was disciplined. He was willing to follow the strategy and, and not sell himself short, end quote. I think I saw that A few guy. years after McDonald's. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds like he, he cashed in a little bit, but then he-, he This is when the uh, uh, the PR industry is starting to really take off. For sure. Wait, I think so, I saw that guy at a, on an escalator one time and called him Mr. Firestone on accident. What elevator? Roy. I uh, was at the Hyatt in Jersey City the, the week of uh, the Barclays at Liberty National. Called him Mr. Firestone? I think I did. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I'd a some, that's a big flex. I think I'd had some pops. So going and, back, he's he's uh, we we're like going like going opposite ways on the uh, on the escalator. I mean, I was like, Reebok, oh, Mr. Firestone. Reebok was an absolute. Was like, oh, that's that wasn't Goliath right. in the early nineties. So did he yeah. sign with Reebok? And Reebok basically does his logo come about then? And Reebok is producing all of that. Good, good question. Is it like a so licensing he thing? he signs with Reebok in the eighties. So he's wearing Reebok in I think mid to late eighties. It reminds me more of what LeBron's done where he, he was with Nike, and then LeBron, like five or six years ago, signed a lifetime contract with Nike. And, You're and just basically a vertical inside that brand. So then he now, he he licensed the Shark logo, was created by Reebok. It's licensed for him, but he makes like a uh, you know percentage profit. Like it's a long-term deal where, kind of like what Nike has with LeBron or MJ, where it's like, you know, everybody's going to win here. And like, you're going to get an equity stake in this separate brand under right. the Nike but or when Reebok did, umbrella. When did that... When did that go by the wayside? I can't imagine Reebok is still is still the one producing all of the shark stuff. So I've got some we'll cover some of the business stuff at the end. I may have to have you look that up. Um it may be in my notes, but this is when the lifetime deal starts and this is when like the shark brand of clothing really starts to pick up in the and and he he's a, you know, making a percentage of profit, you know, owns a big equity stake. And in then that. he's a big Cobra guy all yes. the way through this as well, right? Cobra, Qantas Air, and Land Rover were kind of like the four big brands that he was uh, associated with for a long time. So moving on, 94. People say he only won two majors. <laughs> what major did he win in 94? Solly? The players! <laughs> the fifth major! Setting the lowest 1854-hole and 72-hole records. That was on TV a couple years ago or something, yeah. and I, I'd never seen any of that before. It's unreal. And it was just just taking it over trees I think they had to redo the golf course after that because he broke the course. I mean, it was just just kind of whiffs of the '97 Masters a little bit. Pretty much, yeah. Fuzzy finished second, yeah, and set the set yes. the scoring record. So <laughs> twenty four under. He finishes twenty four under, six shots better than the previous record. That's um, when Fuzzy was waving the towel at him on on the 18th hole, I believe. Yes. So ninety four is also big for another golf related but non PGA Tour related situation. World Tour. Exactly. Unveils the World Golf Tour at the Shark Shootout at Sherwood Country Club. So I used a source, morningread.com, golf at a glance, which is has actually has a, an awesome, like pretty in-depth uh, piece. They've interviewed Norman recently. This was from uh, November 19th, 2019. So Shout out to Alex Maselli. Shout out to Alex. It sums it up pretty well. Norman, quote, Norman's plan called for eight tournaments. Uh, this is related to the World Golf Tour, in 95, with the first event to be held in March. The field would consist of the top 30 players, 30 available players from the Sony ranking and 10 sponsor exemptions. First prize for each tournament would be 600K. Last place in the field of 40 
would be guaranteed 30k. Season a season long winner would get a million dollars. For reference, PGA prize money that year, Norman got 450k for winning the players. Ernie Els got 350k for winning the US Open. Norman goes on to be quoted in this article as saying, kind of in relation to why he wanted to do this. Quote, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could still play our 15 tournaments in America, in parentheses, required to maintain PGA membership, and still be obligated to the PGA, yet still be able to grow the game of golf on a global basis? It's all about growing the game. And then he goes on to be quoted as saying, we always looked at ourselves as independent contractors, said Norman, noting stars such as Spaniards Sevi Ballesteros and Jose Maria Alfabal, uh, who were more inclined to compete in Europe rather than America. Norman says, it was very onerous, onerous, uh, the regulations we signed on to as members of the PGA Tour. If you were an international player, Sevi and myself actually went toe-to-toe with the tour, trying to get people to understand that we were independent contractors and you cannot prevent us from making a living, a living anywhere in the world, end quote. So some, mm. uh, some you know, sounds, relevant sounds stuff, similar. I think. I think it's interesting Tim Fincham's first year as PGA Tour Commissioner in 1994. And in this article, he's also asked if he timed up the World Golf Tour to test Fincham. He, obviously, Norman denies that. He's like, no, I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to make it a global game or whatever. Fincham, Um, definitely. So Fincham (laughs) Fincham began, uh, so actually at the same time, the FTC was looking into whether, you know, it was kind of legal for the PGA Tour to prevent players. So they they were opening an investigation. Fincham... Cuts him off at the pass. He began hearing that FTC investigators were going to recommend that the commission take legal action against the tour. At the same time, he was getting intel about the proposed world tour. On November 15th of 1994, he sent a preemptive memo to the PGA Tour to PGA Tour members advising them that anyone who participated in the Renegade events would be suspended. Sounds uh, familiar. So, <laughs> time is a flat circle, guys. Norman said, quote, if that would have happened today... It would have prompted a massive lawsuit, but I just didn't know enough back then. I was going to say, why wouldn't well, you call their today. bluff with the FTC and be like, cool, like FTC, continue your your investigation? Well, it could have been the same as what's going on now where like all the uh, the rest of the players just were like, all right, cool, I don't want to be suspended, and it just lost all its steam. And then there was no players to play, so it's like, why do you keep, you know, why would you so keep this, doing the lawsuit? this will add some, some context. So in a ni- uh, t- 2013 Golf.com article, I couldn't find the actual the author, but Sean Zach was a contributing author at the bottom. Uh, quote, the, it's kind of an interview with Norman. He says, quote, the abyss of my professional career was my run-in with the PGA Tour Commissioner Tim Fincham over the World Golf Tour. My idea for an international series of tournaments. It was a beautiful plan and good for golf. I had the support of numerous marquee players, a lucrative TV contract in place, and most important, I structured it so the players owned it. I've always believed that if you help build equity in something, you should receive some of the spoils. Unfortunately, Fincham and the media ripped me to shreds. They said I was trying to ruin the game. It got so bad that a lot of PGA club pros who carried Greg Norman collection clothes began canceling their contracts. I was devastated, but I was so sure the World Tours promised that I called each one of them to explain my side of the story because I was never offered the chance to do so with the PGA Tour. It took weeks. I asked each one of them to hear me out and draw his own conclusions. Everyone kept their contract. My tour never got off the ground, yet three years later, the PGA Tour launched the World Golf Championships. I guess they didn't like the fact that it wasn't their idea. End quote. Thank you, Greg, for the World Golf Championships. <laughs> I think it's interesting the PGA like club pros 
being in solidarity with the with the PGA Tour. They've never been. That again sounds like a politician speech of one hundred percent. He personally called them. But again, I want to give the shark a chance to speak for himself. Of, of course, uh, and he's welcome to come on and, and uh, refute any and of refute any of this for in, sure. In '94, who do you think the ill-gotten funds are coming from? It's not the Saudis. Maybe it's the Sultan of Brunei. Sure. Maybe uh, you know. Maybe Saddam at that point. I remember the Shavaran. The, uh, the Sultan of Brunei in 96 came to Atlanta, or one of his wife or one of him, I don't know, came and, and went on a shopping spree that like the Atlanta Journal-Constitution covered. He spent like 10 million bucks in a bucket. <laughs> and I just remember like my mom telling us that and be like, whoa. <laughs> like, he's the richest man in the world at the time. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. Um, so what, do you have any light from your uh, Peter Jacobson conversation? Did He, did he talked about it. He basically just said, Arnold Palmer said, I'm out. And then once Arnold, it's kind of similar to how it's happening now with like Rory saying, I'm out. It's kind of a trickle down effect of, you know, Arnie says, we had a chance to do these a million times, like the three of us, like we, and we helped kind of build this PGA tour. This is, this is greed. I'm out. And that's pretty much the end. Which is kind of how similar it is. Because Arnie and Jack kind of did the same thing. That's different. I mean, with the PGA of America, basically it was... that the the break off to start the PGA Tour was essentially the they were supporting like the twenty seven thousand PGA professionals yeah. all around the it was world. It's basically the the people who work in golf shops versus the people who play competitively. Yes, so it was they, they went from supporting club pro guy to yeah. which now it's to like Ches Reeves. I was gonna say now Ches Reeves is the only one who still works in a golf shop <laughs> and plays on the PGA Tour. <laughs> um, all right, so moving on to ninety five. God, that's fascinating. Good stuff. Um, finished third at the Masters. And second at the U.S. Open. Shout out to Crenshaw. Uh, yes. What tournament did he win that year? Kemper Open. <laughs> Good guess, but no. Memorial. Yes. Second hey. Memorial. Um, also, Norman builds the Medalist Club in Hobe. Hobe is that right? Hobe, Hobe Sound? Hobe Sound. Hobe Sound, Florida. More on that to come. 96. What do you remember about Norman in 96, guys? Oh. Do we even need to talk about it? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's probably well, there's there's people no, that there's have some no stuff, idea. There's some interesting stuff to it. So uh, what record did he set that year at the masters he shot the lowest opening round in masters history of the 63 that's exactly right are you looking at are you no, looking i'm not those? i'm not i have my calendar open okay very good very good I, can, I, I think i can he <laughs> very shot good christopher solomon he shot if I, I think i can recite it back i think he shot 63 69 72 78 uh, I don't know the middle two he, rounds. I just but remember you're right shot, about the first. He shot 78 in the final. He round. shot 15 shots higher in the final round than yeah. he did the oh. opening round. And um, it got worse every day. So he he held the lead through three days, sleeping on a lead of how many strokes? It was a six shot lead. Going That's exactly right. Uh, he lost the tournament by how many strokes? Five. That's right. Oh. Uh, to Nick Faldo. Faldo three sixty seven. Shot sixty seven, <laughs> and the shark shot seventy eight. That'll cost you devastation. The lead. From Rick Riley's game piece after the 96 Masters. On the drive to the golf course, she saw a graveyard. And she secretly held her breath, closed her eyes, and made a wish. When your dad is Greg Norman, you stop trusting Sundays and you start working on all the angles you can. Six-shot lead or no six-shot lead, end quote. <laughs> Ugh. Do you have the, the hole-by-hole? Because the most staggering part about it is how early it was over. I, I do not have it, but uh, maybe one of my... My fact checkers can, can pull can, that up I can for get us. To that. I know. I remember thinking the whole time watching it, 
that it's like it's not over. It's not. It, no, no, no. It's not. It's not. Like he could. St- it could still happen. He still got fifteen. He yeah. still got. You know. He still he, got thirteen. He, he bogeyed the first it. hole, uh, and then so it was a five well, shot. A lead. lot of bogeys in the first hole. Yeah, but they both birdied two, um, and then you know he bogeys the fourth hole, so the lead is now four. A lot of bogeys on four. Yeah, it's not. Oh, sorry, Valdo did make a bogey. He bogeyed number five. Um, anyway, so they go, he, he, he bogeyed nine to, to lead only was, was down to two at the turn. So it went from four to two. So he shot two over on the front and Faldo shot two under. He How bogey- clear are they of the, uh, he, the next guy is Mickelson five under. So the, the, he had a six shot lead over third place. So then Norman bogeys 10 bogeys 11 and now they're tied and then he doubles 12. So he's two shots back. They both birdie 13, still two shots back, both par 14, both birdie 15. He almost chipped in for eagle on 15. I think he falls near the pond, and like right. that that's the clip. So that would have got him within one. And then he steps up on 16 and just hits like the weirdest, highest, just up in the air forever hook that just splashes in the middle of the pond. And it was he doubled it, and he was down by four, and it was over. Uh, Fouled up birdie the last just to put a little <laughs> knife in his back. How those listen. We we bag on Faldo. He's so fucking good. Man. Killer. Yes. Faldo's a killer. Yes. Faldo doesn't have these heartbreaks. I'm, I'm also I'm kind of curious how Faldo fell off. So I, I would we need thought, to do one of these on yeah, Faldo. I would have thought I, he would have been a good more. like Champions Tour. But Faldo like, tried go, to redo like, when a we were swing, at Harbor right? Town in like what 2014 or 2015, he shot like 84. Cat killed and ruined his career. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. People like to theorize. I, there's something to that. I, gotta, I have to do a deep dive on that. But basically, it was like. Once he saw what Tiger did at Augusta, he was like he was rattled by it. He tried to gain distance and rework his game. Yeah. Right? Imagine being like the biggest alpha, and then seeing someone that's you know that much better than you. Trying like, oh god, now I need to keep up. Now I need to like, do I need to change everything I'm doing? What's what's going on? Well, that's like, kind of what in that golf world piece I cited earlier with Nick Price. He kind of describes that like all these young guys are just like blowing it by us, and he's like he said the quote in there is. Uh, you know, everybody. It used to be you couldn't swing as hard as you as as you could, and he had a real issue adjusting because, he, like, he was like fundamentally against his principles to just like try to hit it as hard as he can because like that's just not what my game's based on, right? It's about like tempo and and finding the, you know, finding tempo basically. But then all these young guys come out and just start wailing on it because the drivers right. got so hot and they could just miss it anywhere um, off the face. That's why. Listen, perpetual shout out to Jim Furyk in that regard too. I will never forget the wild world of golf that we did, which I promise will come eventually. Tron's blowing it past him, and he's just like, yeah, that's yeah, cool, whatever. man. That's cool. Yeah. Let me just hit this wedge into six feet and yeah. make the putt. From that's, the honey hole. That's that's it. That's got to be so hard to do. Demoralizing. Yeah, that's got to be so hard to do. I think, so, yeah, I think Faldo in 98 left lead better and, start, and changed his swing. Starting to search. Yeah. But here's the thing. So he loses that. Everybody remembers, remembers 96 for the Masters. He led the, he led the money list in 96. And he's the number one player in the world. Uh, 95, 96, 97 led the money list. So it's not like he had a... That's what made it harder. It was yeah, like he was clearly like like the was, best player. It was like, was come on, he's finally getting on his top masters. still. This is it. This is your... Uh, how is old your is he at this point? So... 41. Yeah. In his... Def- so... 96 minus 55. Yeah. What else did... 40 Kat, or 41. Did, did Cat's rebuild start like immediately after the Masters in 97? What else did Cat do... I think he played the rest of that year, didn't he? And it was kind of like off season 97, 98. 
and then was kind of back. It's something yeah, we have to look at that. But I, I know he writes about it in this in the book. It's yeah. like I knew I had to rework things. I, yeah. If I could, t- I timed it up so well for that one week, but right. I needed something that would be better when the timing just wasn't absolutely perfect for an entire week. <laughs> so ninety six is kind of when the some of the off the course. Norman stuff starts to pick up speed a little bit. Norman joins Bill Clinton on his first trip to Australia uh, on an invitation to play golf. He almost didn't go because Clinton was a Democrat. But after talking to George H.W. Bush, he said, said, listen, man, you you need need to to join Slick Willie down under. I'm going to fact check you real quick. What? 97, you said he led the money list? 96. 96. 95, 96. I thought you said 95, 96, 97. He didn't in 97? Yeah. 97, he was third in scoring average behind Nick Price and Tiger. Nick Price, Tiger, Norman, Davis Love, Tom Lehman, and then Money List wasn't wasn't even in the top five. Okay, my mistake. Thank you for the fact checking. We're moving fast. We're breaking stuff. Okay, but that's that's what we're we're bringing yeah, it to exactly. a to a quorum here. So, but again, I still and I have some stuff here on ninety seven. So we'll get there. But thank you, TC. So he goes down to Australia. They play like New South Wales and Royal Melbourne, and they become they become friends. More on that later. Nineteen ninety seven in January ninety seven. Norman won his largest winner's check to date, $1 million, when he won what tournament? Uh, the Sun City one in uh, South Africa. The no. players. The Anderson Consulting World Championship of Golf. Shout oh. out to Enron. <laughs> uh, in 97, he also won the FedEx St. Jude Classic and the NEC World Series of Golf at Firestone. So he's just beating up these WECs, yeah, to, to be fair. And, and I think he won the uh, NEC World Series at least twice, maybe three times, but you can check me on that, TC. TC, hey, shout, hey, out, shout out to Firestone. Dog, I'm going to... Mr. Firestone. I'm, we're going to go back to 96 here. I'm going to fact check you on 96. He was not in the top five on the money list. <laughs> really? <laughs> Tom well, Lehman, Nicholson, Mark You know what, that, Mark that's... Brooks, then Steve then Stricker, shame Mark on Romero. me for trusting uh, uh, Wikipedia. You're seeing career money list leaders, and he was he was number one at that point. Norman, Kite, Couples, Pavin, Payne, Stewart. Don't try to throw Wikipedia under the bus. Well, no, it's more it, accurate than many, many people. No, it is. It is. But that's the, the... That sounds like user error. No, it is. I didn't check those. I, I took them at face value from the Wikipedia page. Let's... Sure. let's 95, he did lead the money list. Okay. By about a million dollars... Or by, by about $100,000 over. I'll give you guys three guesses. You're not going to get... Crenshaw. I, I'm, I'm drawing a complete blank. So it was fifth was Elkington, fourth was Pavin, third was Lee Jansen, second was Billy Mayfair. Oh, Jesus. All right, well, TC, Icarita regrets the air, but we're going to move on. Uh, so 97, and if you want to check the NEC World Series of Golf, I believe you won it twice at least, maybe three times. Let, let's, let's, I can trust you there. Let's take a uh, around the horn P- or PTI. We'll, we'll keep the corrections for the last the last bit of the show. Here. Okay. Let's keep moving. Thank you, DJ. Thank you. March 14th, 1997, what happens? Say that again. March, March 14th. 14th, 1997, what happens? Divorce. No. Bill Clinton breaks his leg. Yes. He's looking <laughs> at my notes again. No, I'm not. I'm TC's just... always trying to show up no, to the teacher. No, because you, you teased <laughs> well, it. Well, actually, my dad said. Uh, quote from the New York Times, uh, quotes, Bill Clinton severely injures his knee at Norman's house in Florida. The incident garnered the attention of Kenneth Starr, the prosecutor in charge of the investigation <laughs> of Monica Lewinsky scandal. Shout out to Jimmy Walker. Turns out. <laughs> All the boys of Baylor. Baylor, yeah. So it turns out he tore his quad muscle off his kneecap. And I want to play a quote. Did, for for Norm from Norman. Did Norman break his ankles on the basketball court? How did it happen? Uh, I'll, we'll, I'll get there. Okay. I think Norman's going to speak for himself here. 
He flies down and uh, he lands in the evening and he's coming to my house and um, we go inside. First of all, we weren't partying. Um, the president didn't drink one drop of alcohol. Party. There was no Monica Lewinsky there, I can tell you that. I didn't send my plane to pick up Monica Lewinsky, I can tell you that. This is so dramatic. What's this from? Business Insider. So we're sitting in my house, he's drinking Coke and we're, we're, we're having something to eat and it's getting late. So we were talking till past two o'clock in the morning, I think it was, and then you know, we're getting up early to go play golf and it was time to turn in and going out the front door, down the front stairs. His heel got caught on the bottom step. His momentum kept going forward and he fell forward and he just tore off his quad muscle off his kneecap. Next minute you know, I'm surrounded by a secret service and counter assault teams. They call an ambulance and they whisk him off. It was excruciating pain for him. He refused to take any narcotics because if he took a narcotic drug, then and he'd have to hand over the power to the Vice President of the United States, and he didn't want to do that. And here's the testament Al Gore. <laughs> of this man. Fast forward to about five o'clock in the morning. I get a phone call from Air Force One, and it's the President. And he said, Greg, he said, I'm so disappointed I never got to meet your kids. Can you get them to Air Force One before I take off? How many of us call up your friend and say, hey, bring your kids over here. I forgot, I didn't get a chance to meet them before I go and have surgery. So I took them to Air Force One, and he was gracious enough to allow my kids to come and meet him, walk around Air Force One, and then leave. That's the quality of the human being that President Clinton oh, is all Greg, about. And that's, that's why he became one of the best presidents the United States ever had. So that's, there you that's have it. That's why. Again, I wanted, to let, I wanted to let the shark speak for himself. Really shoehorn that in at the end there. That, yeah. that meeting his, my kids meeting him is what made him become one of the best. And listen, he, he almost yeah. didn't want to go play golf with him in Australia because he, he was, was a, a Democrat. Democrat. So, so reach across the uh, really across Again, the back to the New York Times from the article the day after. Uh, quote, reporters traveling with Mr. Clinton were not alerted to his fall until more than an hour and a half after the accident. Uh, Mr. McCurry, who I believe was... Uh, Part of the press team said it it had taken some time for mr clinton to be examined at mr norman's house and then to be taken to the hospital and then more time to determine that he would not be returning to the house right away quote you were able to cover the story and america got to wake up to the news he said that's the way it should be end quote solly can you hit the conspiracy button <laughs> They had to fly him back from Epstein's program. I was going to say what I'm getting at. According I, to his friend Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. who was on the site, it, his leg was totally fine. So, you know, he's there. And people, up, quote, shouldn't really look into it very much. Yeah, ta talking till late in the night, and it took about an hour and a half to maybe clean up the scene. Who knows? Uh, so You'd that was, yeah, so that was 97. Uh, 98, he has some back and hip problems, so injuries start to catch we're up to him a little Clinton bit. Or shark? <laughs> we're talking, we're back to the shark now. Okay. 99 is kind of the shark's last gasp a little bit, though you could say there's one final uh, breach later on in the 2000s. <laughs> uh, the shark's last gasp, he was tied for the lead with five holes to play at the Masters and finished third to who? Jose Mario Orozabal. That is correct. Um, and then just other notable wins, not really PGA Tour. He Tommy Manskied the Fred Meyer Classic with Brad Faxon back to back oh, to huge. back. 95 to 97. Thank you for the proper attribution for Tom Mansky. Yes. A lot of people uh, forget about the third championship. And Mansky levels. I usually <laughs> say now when it's back to back <laughs> approaching a Mansky levels. Yeah. That's Peter Jacobson's charity tournament in Portland, which I'm not sure if they still play or not. They do not um, anymore. He won the Shark Shootout in 98, his own charity tournament with who? Little Look at Me. 
I don't know. Elk. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, he and Elk teamed up for that. Yeah, me and Greg, we were, <laughs> we were mates. We were mates. And then uh, he won what tournament in 2001? Uh, the players. The Skins game. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, big payday. Yeah, huge. Um, he's, he's picking off all the right ones. So I, Small I, fields. I'm, he played a little bit on the Champions Tour, so let's fast forward a little bit to 2005. Turns 50, doesn't do much on the Champions Tour due to being an international business mogul, as well as hip and back surgery in 2005, 2006. Uh, in a 2004 interview, he says he thinks he could have avoided injuries if he had come to strength training earlier in his career. But then he goes on to say in the same interview, quote, I was the one who first changed all that. Now 85% of tour players follow regular strength training programs, according to Norman. My family's the same way. It's so easy for us to all self-regulate. I'm aware of my body because I want to be around a long time, end quote. I wonder if him and Gary Player are like, uh, they're almost like the same soul, kind of like in two different <laughs> you, dimensions. You kind you know of beat I mean? me to it because I was going to be like, listen, man, I think I you're, like on, Gary, you're on Gary Player's yeah. block, number one. And number two, just like every quote from Norman, I hear it's it's like, he kind of alternates with saying, between saying like, I was the first to do it, or if he did get hurt, it's like, well, if I just would have known earlier, you know, like it's like, if I just would have followed my own advice like <laughs> five or 10 years ago, but it's like, he's kind of the source of everything. The problem was I was too shy. Yeah, I just didn't, you know, I could, I just, I just didn't I know about humble. it. Can, um, can we say, I don't know when this comes in exactly, but the, the Norman ESPN, the body issue, like how badly he puts Kepka to shame. That's 2018. Yeah. Okay. So well, we I got a long ways to go. Yeah. We're an hour and a half in, so I wasn't <laughs> sure if we were going to get there. Is he deep in the wine game at this point? Well, yet? we'll get, I, I, I struggled to put the end, the business stuff in because it was hard to find when those like timeline. timeline on that. So we're going to go over those okay. at the very end. Uh, 2006. It's when things start to heat up in the in the uh, page six of the New York Post. Greg Norman leaves oh, his sure. wife of 24 years, I believe, for uh, tennis player Chris Everett, who was married to good friend of Greg Norman's Olympic skier Andy Mill. Not that good of a friend. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Steal Your Girl. What do you guys think the divorce settlement was for Laura Andrasi? $38 million. Okay. I'm going to say a little less, 24. I'm going to say a lot less in not very much at all. I think it was pretty acrimonious, and I think he he took the screws. You're all wrong. It was $105 million. <laughs> uh, TC, allow me to fact check you on this one. <laughs> if you trust Norman in interviews, he says, we have a great relationship. Everything's you know everything's solid, and we, we remain great friends to this day. If you ask Laura Andrasi, you hear something different. Uh, according to her, Greg Norman and Chris Everett accused her of trying to sell their wedding photos for profit uh, within <laughs> six months. In 2007 slash 2008, uh, 2007, Greg Norman, I guess 2008, Greg Norman and Chris Everett get a divorce uh, after 15 months. Why? According to People Magazine, which I think is the sure. attributable source on the topic like this, Norman and Everett never set up a home together. He stayed in Jupiter Island, uh, his mansion Tranquility, while Everett remained in her nearly $3 million Boca Raton Home, the couple would sleep over at each other's houses. And then it also goes on to cite issues. You got to have, have some space. Yeah. Cites issues with kids. Uh, People Magazine again, quote, Greg got in between Andy and his sons, which caused a great deal of turmoil for Chris, says a close source. On one occasion, Andy flew from his Aspen home to Boca Raton to spend time with his sons. And before Andy even touched ground, Greg whisked, whisked Nikki off in his private jet. He took him to his own ranch in Colorado, leaving a very unhappy Andy crying on on the phone to his son. Another time, Norman told Colton, uh, another one of Chris Everett's sons, that he needed to spend time with him instead of going to, to a planned meeting with his own father. End quote. Call her Chris one more time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shout out to Jim Rome. Uh, and then a quote from Andy Mill, quote, divorce is like a golf swing. It always makes someone happy, end quote. Huh? <laughs> so in the same article, I didn't, I didn't really know what that was about, but I thought I'd share it. I've got a, I've got a timeline in his business enterprises. Okay. We'll catch it up. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go there next. Okay. 2008, Greg Norman shares the 54-hole lead with rounds of 70, 70, 72 at the British Open at age 53. Uh, this was sick. Where was this that? This is Burkdale. Uh, Burkdale, yeah. Burkdale. What did he shoot in the final round? 78. 77. Oh. To finish third and plus nine. Who won that year? Padre Harrington. At plus three, I believe. Um, Burkdale's sweet. So another kind of the final Icarito moment. But yeah, and then the next 53 year, fifty-three years old was leading the but British Open. Then, that was yeah, sick. Paved the way for next year. Tom Watson kind of cucks him the next yeah. year. And <laughs> does it at fifty-nine, so uh, kind of one-ups and. and it's then, amazing how much older Watson seemed yeah, exactly totally. than Norman. It's so we'll get to the point. business stuff here shortly. Uh, from the Australian.com, this is related to two thousand nine. In two thousand nine, when Norman's neighbor Tiger Woods, who has never said more than twenty words to Norman, despite living a kilometer down the road was going through his messy breakup with his wife over his infidelities, Norman received a phone call from Bill Clinton. Clinton said, quote, he called me up when I was in the backyard hitting balls, recalls Norman. He said, Greg, go down there and talk to Tiger. Greg, You're the only one who can talk, talk to Tiger. him and tell, and tell him that how he's got to handle this, end quote. So I guess Norman became the subject matter expert on <laughs> the messy divorce, according, and how, yeah, according how to Clinton. That, how did that go? Um, Tiger was super appreciative. Yeah, I know. It doesn't really go on to say much. <laughs> Tiger had paid $109 million. So then he breaks like, up. I think I he was finalizes so lost you. his divorce with Chris Everett in late 2008 or 2009. Uh, 2010, Norman marries Kristen Kuttner on Richard Branson's Nectar Island estate in the Bahamas. There we go. Um, according to an interview with Andrassi in Adelaide Now, Andrassi learned of their affair when she overheard a conversation between the pair in the early 90s, but Greg vowed to end the affair. Oh, so this was a long-lasting flame. She was kind of the... Uh, the true the apple mis- of his eye. The mistress for, sure. for years, for over a decade, for, you know, 18, 20 years. So they're married. Uh, Kuttner says uh, in that same, I think the, Aust- the Australian. Um, He's got hundreds of tabs open. <laughs> uh, Kuttner says, quote, there's nothing better than relaxing with Greg. He's my absolute best friend physically his energy is electric when he turns his steely gaze on you uh, it's it is uh, almost uh, unnerving uh, unsubscribe <laughs> he is such an interesting man who is curiously not egotistical or vain but instead he is fiercely protective thoughtful sensitive devoted affectionate and romantic really and <laughs> it's like your opinion man yeah well listen again you gotta, gotta let all him, you gotta let him gotta get all sides yeah, you're right uh so moving on 2012 this this is sick. From a Tim Rosefort Golf Digest piece, quote, the shark has demanded his name and that of co-designer Pete Dye be taken off the medalist course he founded and wants his memorabilia returned, including the signature shark above the bar in the men's locker room. Norman's issue with the club's hiring of former Dye disciple, sticky, icky Bobby Weed, <laughs> is due to a <laughs> restoration of the original Norman Dye design that opened in 1995 instead of using Norman's design company. Um, I had never heard that. I added the sticky icky part. Sure. That, that wasn't part of the quote. Yeah, that got um, really acrimonious. So the there. club yeah. president was uh, D. Mudd, uh, was the club president uh, that Norman went to war with. He was also the former president of Conway Farms in Chicago. Sure. Um, and it turns shout, out, shout out this boss. is the best part, though. This is the best part. He insisted that his name remain on the locker room wall as the winner of both the gross and net deficiency <laughs> of the club member guest. 
So he took everything. We said, leave my fucking name. <laughs> yeah, I love when Rosenfort gets deep into the internal politics of these. Of Palm Beach County. Shoop clubs yeah. or, you know, shouts out, you know, gosh, Bob Ford, you know, what can you say? Like all the, you know, all the little updates that are so insider. So then, then this is when the Instagram stuff picks up. It's all, it's mainly all business now, but 2017, the shark becomes a go between, between Australian prime minister, Malcolm Turnbull and Donald Trump. <laughs> Turnbull's ambassador to the U S asks Norman for DT's cell phone. And Norman shares the contact info saying, quote, I don't normally give out cell phone numbers of people in my database, but considering it was for the prime minister to call the president of the United States, I thought this would be the right thing to do. He's kind of like an ambassador. Thank you for your service, Shark. <laughs> Turns out they had a horrible conversation. Uh, yeah. Like, it got really, really acrimonious. Uh, but the Shark kind of brokered that interaction between the two How of them. How about the fact I that... I remember that. That was like... That was yeah, 2017. That was, yeah, that was yeah. big, big... Early in 2017, and, right? And, it was like was, one of the first things yeah. where everybody was like, oh my God, he's going to nuke all of our allies. And the, sh the Shark set yeah, that up. The Shark set that up. How about the fact that DT's <laughs> also, how could he got not just the get his same number? cell phone number? Yeah, that's yeah. not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also, so the Shark has a long, long relationship with DT... Uh, he's designed, I think, one Trump course. Shout out to Doonbeg. Well, Doonbeg as well, but he designed another one in the U.S. I think it's in, is it Kentucky. I don't know. I have, uh, we'll get to the business stuff in a second. But uh, they've also had some falling outs because DT's chosen to use other people to restore courses instead of Norman. And it seems like Norman takes it really personally when people uh, don't allow him to restore the courses that he has his name on. Which like, hey man, we're kind of doing this with someone else because you kind of fucked it up. And well, that's why I could I could definitely see taking that very personally. You know, well, then it's, like, hear, it's basically like your work of art, right? Then you Somebody's like, yeah, well, let's paint over it. How though. the Foz treats it exactly, right? It's check cleared, right? Yeah. So Norman, you know, maybe needs to separate the personal and the business. Like going back to TPC Sugarloaf, they've they've redone that 18th hole like six times, and there's some really good holes out there, but it's also it's the least walkable course on the planet. <laughs> Well, it's they have to make room for the shark experience. Exactly, the carts, right? It's all. Can I it's, say it's a whole it's a whole ecosystem? Yeah, re very regrettably, I really wanted to hate and dunk on and poop hold, on the shark experience, but it's pretty. Hold good. that thought. Okay. Uh, twenty eighteen. We'll finish it up here with the timeline. June twenty fifth, twenty eighteen. Poses for the body issue of ESPN the magazine, which was quite a sight. Your review. Um, I mean, he's kind of built like a brick shit house, yeah. to be honest. Like, good for him. He's in shape as a, as a uh, an older guy. I can't believe you. You didn't put him almost cutting his arm off with, with, the, chainsaw. with the chainsaw. Oh, I missed that. I'm sorry. That was a big, that was, <laughs> that was a big we'll one. open it up. What else did I miss? That's part two. <laughs> in the in the business, we'll go to the business stuff next. But that was I, I got nothing else. Okay, that was exhaustive. He does remind me of a guy on like a Nugenics commercial, though. Yeah, in the body issue. Nugenics is a good. That's yeah. a good pull. Like he's, he and he should join Frank Thomas as a Nugenics <laughs> person. Um, all right, Great White Shark Enterprises. How many businesses are a part of Great White Shark Enterprises? 17. Sally? Eight. Tron? 20. 11. Greg Norman Golf Course Design, Greg Norman Collection, Greg Norman Estates, which is the wine, Greg Norman Real Estate, Great White Shark Opportunity Fund, <laughs> Shark Wake Park, Shark Experience, Greg Norman <laughs> Eyewear. Shark Wake Park. <laughs> uh, Greg Norman Australian Prime, Greg Norman Australian Grill, Greg Norman Turf Company, Greg Norman CBD, and some non-GWSE partnerships include um, he's partnered with Kohlberg and Company to acquire Troon Golf, like a stake in Troon Golf. Um, Norman is also the leading investment partner in Alchemy Global, um, potentially a, a sister company of Prestige Worldwide, <laughs> uh, a firm that seeks investors for sports startups. 
You forgot uh, Greg Norman's signature Wagyu beef jerky. No, I did. I did mention that, TC. Oh, uh, Greg Norman, Australian Prime. Thank you very much. That's Which, the beef jerky. Regrettably, that restaurant, like the, the, oh, that's Greg Norman Grill. Greg Norman Grill in Myrtle Beach. Was yes, actually like really that's good. his only location. It which surprised it? me. It's really good. Greg Norman, uh, Australian Prime is premium Wagyu beef and premium Wagyu beef jerky. Okay. Also, uh, it's worth noting the uh, Shark Wake Park is run is established by his son, Greg Norman. Jr. Yes, that's oh, a joint okay. partnership with Greg Norman Jr. Um, and it is two locations in both. I believe both are in Florida. That, that there's a, the Challenger series, the one they did on yeah. uh, the Schwab videos that they did on the shark. Uh, he goes over, he talks a lot about the wake park and that, and they do like flyovers of it. So I didn't check know, that out. As, I didn't know that was his, a source. His son was a professional kiteboarder and wakeboarder. Traveled, spent 15 years traveling the world. I never mm, knew that. That makes more sense. I didn't I know there was a pro kiteboarding circuit. <laughs> the more you know. Must, you know. must be nice. You know who the, sh- the shark, he's reminded me of a lot of people throughout this, but remember in, uh, in Zoolander when they're doing the awards? And Fabio goes up and he says, it's very, it's nice to be recognized as the best actor slash model and not the other way around. Yes. That's the shark. Yes. It's best businessman. Best businessman golfer, not the other way around. So let's start with, there's a a timeline on his business website, Greg Norman Enterprise, shark.com. Okay. Um, He owns shark.com? Which is a pretty serious URL. I missed that. uh, Um, You know, 84, first PGA Tour win at Kemper, of course. Uh, 86, the Norman Slam season. Which... Also the Saturday Slam. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that's if, if that's. Do they spell about... Saturday like S-A-T or S-A-D? I feel like you could get away with spelling it S-A-D. Saturday, yeah. <laughs> it's S-A-T, okay. but... Maybe, maybe Norman was the original Barstool guy. You know, Saturdays are for Norman. <laughs> that's hard to say. Alonzo yeah. Morning Jim. <laughs> uh, 87, he started his design business. 89 was the inaugural shark shootout, um, which talking to some of the people down there at, you know, around the club down there, they said that he's always an interesting element of, I guess now it's what, the Franklin Temple, or the QBE shootout. It was right. a Franklin Templeton shootout for a while. Uh, yeah, shark logo, 91. Reebok thing, 92. Uh, shark Enterprises, 93. Top of the food chain, 95, number one player in the world. Uh, 96, the creation of the winery. Okay. Uh, or, or just, I think he started sourcing stuff. 97, it's good real, timing real estate. Good timing, a bunch of wine on hand. 98, he started a production company. 99, the Australian Grill opens up. Um, 99, got shark.com. Uh, 2000, carried the Olympic torch across the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Uh, 01, World Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, 04, Environmental Institute for Golf. 05, he brings the Wagyu beef to America. The Environmental Institute's part of the turf company. Okay. 06, The Way of the Shark is published. He picked up the pen. 09, <laughs> President's Cup, Captain. Ah, God. I uh, wish I would have seen this timeline before. God. 2010, Inspiring the Next Generation, Greg Norman Champions Golf Academy established in Myrtle Beach. 2010, he's, he's, he's starting to see clearly. Greg Norman Eyewear launched. <laughs> 2011, he leads the President's Cup for the second time as a captain. Uh, 2013 was a big paradigm shift, repositioning brand and strengthening B2B focus. Mm. 2015, Greg Norman Production Company sells to Wasserman. Uh, team, hashtag Team Wasserman. I don't know if I've seen any of their productions. <laughs> I've not either. Uh, 2015, also key milestone, Greg Norman Golf Course Design opens 100th golf course. Eastern Golf Course in yes. Euring, Australia. 
2016 Great White Shark Enterprises rebrands as Greg Norman Company. Um, also 2016, the Wake Park opens up in Myrtle Beach. Um, also 2016, Greg Norman Design Group, like like interior design, okay, opens up, which I think is his wife. Yeah, well, I, I've got that in the notes okay. as well. Uh, 2017 Accelerated Growth Strategy. Um, there's a hold on, we got a fire jet fly over. <laughs> 2017, also the Shark Experience. Yes. Wow. So, yeah. So it so it seemed like late late night, like 97 through 99 was really when it started to really ramp up as far as the wine and the... Well, listen, he had his boy, uh, Slick Willie, just boosting the economy. Yeah, TC, thank you. seller's market. As my, as my TA for, for today's <laughs> yeah. episode, thank you, for, thank you for adding there. So I want to go... I want to talk about a couple of the businesses specifically. Greg Norman Golf Course Design. So one of my questions was, how many courses do you think there are in the world that Greg Norman's designed? 108. Yeah. Yes, it's over 100. I didn't get a specific count, but 100 plus course opens opened across 34 countries and six continents, according to his website. What course do you guys think of when you hear Greg Norman's name? I mean, very recency bias, but Dune Bag is the first one that comes to mind for me. Recency bias, the Bahamas one, the mm, Exuma. Yeah. TC. Probably TPC Sugarloaf, just because that was kind of the heyday. Yeah. That 97, 96, 97. What is his best course? I think a Tiburon in Naples, just because it kind of has his name. But PJ West, uh, he did a course at PJ West. I think they play. Didn't he do Ellerston down in uh, Australia with for Kerry Packer? Mm-hmm. Isn't the San Antonio one supposed to be kind of good? TPC yeah. San Antonio. Yeah. So uh, the one in Vietnam is supposed to be pretty sweet too. Ho Tran yeah. Bluffs or something like that. Well, I've got some highlights here that I picked off. Pompano Beach Municipal Golf Course. Pompano. 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 <laughs> Don't know much about it, but. Would love to check it out. Sure. Maybe it's, maybe maybe a potential strap destination. Yeah. Allegria slash Sodak in Sheikh Zayed City, Cairo. Four, maybe five county in the Middle East, four courses. Loda Belmondo in Pune, India. Uh, he also has four courses in China, 15 plus in Australia, and El Desafio in Patagonia, Argentina. Sure. Yeah, two Let's in South America, one. one in Cartagena, one in Argentina. All right. What else is left? I feel like we're bumping up against it here. The uh, Greg Norman collection. But I would also like to finish on one. I, I want to give a shout-out to the Shark because I have a, a few items other than this hat. But I have a pullover, and some, I, the clothing's good. Sure. Like, I like I like the way it feels. And, and uh, so shout-out to the Shark on that. Shout-out to Reebok, too, probably. But lastly, Greg Norman Estates. Tron, I want to know what you, as our resident Somalia, thinks of Greg Norman's wine operation. To be honest, I haven't, you know, I've, I've had uh, the Australian wine industry tough because the Shiraz, as they call it, uh, it was kind of a race to the bottom. They And he was probably part of this. They commoditized the shit out of that varietal and basically made it fungible and made way for yellowtail. I was going to say, Tron's a big yellowtail all guy. Those to kind of, you know, just they planted so many, you know, acres of or hectares of, of vines down there. They've actually, over the last decade or so they've they've ripped out half their vines and got back to quality over quantity so uh, australian wine is kind of on the rebound but i can't really tell you too too much about like the operation whether he's growing the grapes or sourcing them from a variety of different growers as more of a negotiant and then let me i'll give you a little bit of background so fosters which we all know is australian (laughs) for beer beer. uh (laughs) took a 30 percent stake in the business for the rights to use norman's name Really? Greg Norman Estates produces 14 different varietals from Australia, California, and Argentina. 
The brand is known for attracting attention from wine spectator, having earned the number eight spot in the world with its 1998 reserve Shiraz. Greg Norman Estates controls 60% of the market share of all premium Australian wine. Sheesh. So there you have it. That's why. That's how he became the wine guy. He's the wine guy. It, 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 I guess that's how he fulfilled his dream of being the wine guy. Yeah. And with that, I think, you know, the shark experience, as DJ said, I was going to point out that begrudgingly I I like it. But this it is, is the, like smart golf cart. It's basically. like the biggest corporate brand orgy of all time. It's partners with Verizon, Club Car, and GPSI, which I think Norman has a stake in that as well, the GPS company. So it kind of feeds in. He's got a little bit of a flywheel going. Yeah. You know, the real estate combined with the interior design, combined with the golf courses, combined with the golf carts, combined with the apparel. I mean, you, you kind of have to give the guy credit. Clearly, he's he's done, you know, he's done some business. He's done some deals. He's done some deals. He's done some deals. When they had those wildfires out in Colorado a couple summers ago, I know his ranch was threatened. Uh, I just remember that, too. Like, he was out there on the front lines kind of. Beating back the fire. <laughs> yeah, beating back the fire. You, you shall not pass. With the hot shots. Um, and then you know, I'm just scrolling I'm scrolling through his, his Instagram stuff here. He is one of the most prolific Instagram posters I've ever seen. I mean, and I'm, uh, I've been scrolling for 10 minutes now, and I'm only back to 2015. I got another. Well, we'll, we'll let the people dive into the Instagram as, as dessert to this episode. But I think that's, that's really all I had. Do you guys have that, any other, other, <laughs> other pressing questions? No. Well, I mean, you asked for an exhaustive book report. No, no it's it, was, it was spectacular. I think dog and killer is the only other thing. Which, yes, that's right. That literally I, is I, my last question. I mean, I think he's unprecedented amount of dog. Not a killer. And decidedly not a killer. Maybe in the boardroom. Is he killing, might be a killer in the boardroom. Is killing yourself count Oof. if you're a killer? That's a, that's, that's a tough question. I, I'm here to ask a tough question as a journalist. You give you the last word here, Neil. I I I really enjoyed doing a deep dive. Um, I tried to put in an hour to a day, so you know it was a, it was trying to trying to pull from as many sources as I could. I can't believe I missed that timeline on his website. Though. That was a, a big right miss by me. But otherwise, I I think the guy's fascinating. Is he a raging narcissist, as many people have been quoting saying? Maybe. Yeah, but I give the guy credit for for being hashtag more than an athlete, truly. <laughs> um, and his career is, you know, 331 weeks as the number one ranked golfer in the world is impressive, despite only two majors. Self-made guy, you know. Self-made guy. I got two things. His jet is sick. <laughs> like up there with like MJ, as okay. far as like having just one of the better and Drake paint jobs and everything designs on the jet. On the, I think he's got a G550. Great helicopter, too. And then the chainsaw was 2014. And he said, I just want you guys, in case you, you're doing any chainsaw work out there, uh, working with a chainsaw, always be respectful of the unexpected. I was one lucky man today. Damaged, but not down and out. Still have my left hand. Huge. That would have been a very sad way for this story to end. Was, yes. And then he killed himself with a chainsaw on accident. It wouldn't have been good. So, you know, maybe maybe the shark wants to come on the NLU podcast and and uh, clear some things I up. I try to let him speak for himself through past interviews, but maybe You can only do so much. You can only do so much. So with that, uh thanks thank for you listening. For, thank you for the tour, Mr. Ikarita. That was great. That was, thank that was you. A blast. So we'll right. do this again sometime. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Thank you everybody for listening. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything. 